This is Goyfire, 56. Hillary McCain Obama grovel at APAC. Judge under guard during polygamous hearings. Children seized in Canada. Canada orders pastor to renounce his faith. Western Europeans required to have visas to visit U.S. The science of racism. Boot lips and bling. Sam Israel and police report racist flyers blanketing suburban neighborhoods. And Ron Paul. So we're turning to our top story tonight. Hillary. Obama. McCain. No matter. They're all at APAC. The three top contenders for the presidency in the U.S. are so many interchangeable parts from the point of view of the people who actually run our country, who are the Israelis, the dual citizens, the policy advisors, the speech writers, what have you. And, and that's, that's what's actually going on. While the masses of idiots that constitute the American public are absorbed in the, the puppet show of, you know, should I vote for Punch or Judy? I mean, he's not the puppet, it's the hand up their ass. And that's why it doesn't matter, you know, you, you quoted from Hillary Clinton, but if you hadn't said it was Hillary Clinton, it could have just well been Barack Obama or John McCain. They all say the same thing. Why? Because Jews control American politics. They are the ones who own the mass media, and they are the ones who own the mass politicians. And if any of these politicians dared to go against them, they would use that ownership, that control, and that leverage to undercut them and smear them and uh, smash them. Look how they did it to Howard Dean, who was thought to be off the reservation on one or two issues. And uh, even, even though he had a Jewish wife, they destroyed it by claiming, oh, look how weird his scream was. Let's get rid of him. And they've done it to countless numbers of people many of whom have retailed their stories in the book They Dare to Speak Out, which just came out in a new edition within the last uh, year or two. And I recommend you read that because it shows you just what I've said, figures across the spectrum, left, right, center, whose careers have been destroyed or greatly hampered because they dared to tell a little of the truth about what Israel was up to. And they, they dared to speak or imply that Israel is not, in fact, our friend. It's not a democracy. In no way does it have anything in common with the West, and we need to pursue our own interests against it. And so whenever people start talking like that, be they black, white, left, right, conservative, liberal, uh, the Jews get up in arms and do what they can to destroy that person. And so what you have here is basically the three top candidates passing under the yoke, as they used to say at Old Rome, to show their subservience to their willingness to take direction from the people who actually run the country, and those are the Jews. Those are the organized Jews. And uh, Craig and Aegis, I remember earlier this year, you know, people say, oh, Jews, don't, Jews aren't alike. They're the most, they argue among themselves more than anyone in the world. They don't have any policy or any agenda. Well, earlier this year in 2008, and we're recording this in uh, mid-June 2008, they had, what, a, a thousand top Jews from around the world met in Israel to plan a future for the Jewish people, rather to upgrade their plans for the people. So they have a blueprint. They know where they're going. They're a people with distinct and discrete interests that they're going to pursue in an agenda, right? But when you try to talk that way about whites and what's good for whites and what, sh what should the white mm -hmm. community, why they have a term for that, 
The Jewish agenda is to call anyone who has a white agenda a hater and extremist and someone who divides. Sure. Yeah, you'll get on the Simon Wiesenthal list if you do it well. That's right. And so the Jews are a people. They have a future. They have an agenda. They have a country. They have the country surrounded by walls. They have a country in which teenagers are carrying automatic weapons in the streets. Okay, but over here in America, diversity is good for us. We look forward to the day when the Jewish tool Bill Clinton celebrated the day when whites will be a minority in America by 2050, as the demographics say, if current trends continue. Well, this is something I think it'll be much sooner, Alex, much sooner now. Well, yeah. It, it has to be. I mean, if we're down to 60% already in the United States, 10% over uh, 42 years, that's unbelievable. I think it'll fall apart and, much quicker. But And then the people who are running for president, we've already shown how on the international agenda they are totally subservient to Israel. But what's Israel's pol- domestic policy for America? It's to continue to water down the white majority until it disappears. And yeah. McCain, Obama, and Hillary Clinton are all in favor of that. You can you can very well believe some of McCain's comments. Uh, and I quote: McCain felt no need to establish his Zionism nor his pro-Jewish credentials, taking them as a given. He used his interview to raise practical policy issues, particularly the threat from Iran. For example, asked about the justness of Zionism, he replied that quote. It's remarkable that Zionism has been in the middle of wars and great trials, and it has held fast to the ideals of democracy and social social justice and human rights. Then went on, I think the state of Israel remains under significant threat from terrorist organizations, as well as the continued advocacy of the Iranians to wipe Israel off the map. Aegis McCain also said he wants to move the United States Embassy I guess from Tel Aviv, where it currently is, to Jerusalem. And I suppose that that appeals to his uh, crazy Christian followers all over the United States. They think that this is a, a, a presage or, or a preliminary to Jesus flying back in, I suppose. And uh, yeah, again, whatever's going to happen at the Temple Mount. Referring yeah. to Iran, McCain committed himself to never allowing another Holocaust. He referred to the threatened destruction of Israel as having profound national security consequences for the United States. <laughs> yeah, Israel being a tiny little sliver of land on the eastern end of the Mediterranean. If it didn't exist, how are we in any way worse off? Yeah, with a population less than the Bay Area. We might even be able to stop paying it $10 million a day. That's what's known and recorded. That's what's essentially admitted to in terms of the amount of money that flows from your pockets, white American listener to this, every single day of the year to Israel. The richest in America is the Jews, and they are taking $10 million a day out of our pockets to give to their landsmen in Israel, which is, in fact, a blood state and not a democracy the way they claim. Maybe we sell them PVC pipe for their orchard irrigation. Maybe that's how important it is. Yeah, I mean, we, we Israel is our, it's not only our enemy, it's basically the only enemy that we have. Imagine if Iran was forcibly extracting $10 million a day, not a week, not a month, not a year, $10 million dollars a day from us. Would we say that we were being terrorized or we were being held hostage by Iran? Of course we would. And course they we want would. payment in euros now, too, and that's just the official number, you know, with all the NGOs and ancillary government satellite kind of quasi-corporations and... and uh, Correct. You know, it so does, it's way more than $10 million, they say. It doesn't include anything that's black that is unline item or unmentioned. It's just, you know, here's $40 billion that goes to the Department of Defense and they're not going to itemize that $40 billion. Just know that they're doing it 
it for the security. Well, a lot of that money ends up in the pockets of Israelis. And it's all taken from you and me. And this is why they endlessly push this Holocaust garbage, because they have to portray themselves as these eternal victims, even though, as I said, they're the richest group in America. They have more money than anybody else. And they're using that money to buy the politicians and to start the wars that they think will benefit Israel. Well, it all comes out of your your veins and your wallet. That's the thing you need to understand about Israel. They are our only enemy. Yeah, now, here, getting back to Obama, he obviously felt the need to establish his pro-Jewish credentials. And uh, one part of his speech, he mentioned his political career as a black supremacist. And he says, quote, When I started organizing, the two fellow organizers in Chicago were Jews, and I was attacked for associating with them. So I've been in the foxhole with my Jewish friends. Well, yeah, we know that, we know, and anyone who's listened to Goyfire's, should know that civil rights, which is a misnomer, but using it for the time being, the civil rights movement or the movement to communize America was founded by Jews. So any organization that's ostensibly black was founded by Jews in order to use the black population by giving it a head, a Jewish head, and using it to destroy the white population. And that's what Jews do. They set class against class, nation against nation, brother against brother. That's what they've done for their entire recorded history. That's how they make their way in the world. That's why they're such undesirable people. They may kick out of virtually every land they've ever settled in, which is not something you'll read in the papers. All you'll read in the papers, which are owned by Jews, edited by Jews, and written by Jews, is how Jews are victims of this utterly groundless, utterly inexplicable anti-Semitism that has somehow plagued them everywhere they go. Now, Jews are the typhoid Mary of peoples. In fact, the host people that they settle among, and the host people don't like that. Look at what they've done to America. Try to find anyone who was around when it was still a civilized country who thinks things are better now than in 1960. You won't find anyone in the real world. The only people who think things are better now are those people who write the newspapers, who have an interest in lying. They have to lie. They wouldn't be employed if they told you the truth about what's going on. One of those people, hey, just that you mentioned, uh, Obama cited, is probably David Axelrod, his manager. And you'll see him on the news if you watch carefully. He's pretty soft-spoken, and apparently he's been in charge of communications and, and backroom dealings with Mayor Daley, the younger, for many years. So it's Chicago machine politics out of the south side of Chicago district, where Louis Farrakhan rules. He has his mansion there, and we've repeated it oft times, but it's said that no one could win that Senate seat in Illinois without the approval of Farrakhan and his muscle. You know, they control a lot of even housing contract uh, security companies throughout the United States for HUD or what used to be HUD. So Nation of Islam has, even though they're black supremacists, the federal government has no problem with giving them contracts. And back to other Jewish connections related to this McCain-Obama thing, and the government and what may come, the war, perhaps before the end of the Bush administration, this Air Force General, three-star Lieutenant General Norton Schwartz is a Jew, and Bush has just put him in charge of the entire Air Force. And that's pretty frightening because we already saw in the windup and the lies that they've passed over about weapons of mass destruction and such in the $220 million PR campaign, all of it lies, that uh, Jews were in the forefront of that, all the neocons. That's all been unmasked now, and it's common knowledge, especially the Ron Paulers know it, the more 
Akamai erudite political people, and uh, they're the ones who, who are coming back from war, apparently. Well, they're yeah, they're they're continuing to tell the same lies about Iran that they told about Iraq successfully, and they they have so little respect, and they've gone so long unchecked that they think they can get away with anything, and to a large measure, that's a rational belief because they've destroyed all potential countervailing sources of power. They've discredited in the masses the idea that whites have interest, and whenever anybody rises up to try to uh, give white people ahead, other than the Jewish newspapers who claim to speak for their community, why they tromp it down. They cut its funding and they uh, throw its leaders in jail. So the white community essentially has no leadership. And that's how Jew-sponsored black politicians like Barack Obama can talk endlessly about what the white community owes blacks, but nobody ever talks about what the black community owes whites, you know? Yeah, yeah how about it? They, 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 they get their people in order and, and, and talk down to them enough to say, you know what, you have to come to heal a a little bit, you know, stop with the mass rapes and the mass murders and the mass home invasions, and maybe somebody will respect us a little bit. And but, really, but. let's think about how America was before the Jews took it over. Let's say, let's let's say that they took it over in the '60s. I mean, there was a lot of groundwork laid. And remember, there weren't any substantial numbers of Jews in this country before 1880. And yet, by 1920, they they had almost gotten powerful enough to prevent our passing the Immigration Act that limited newcomers to the stocks of their people already in the country. That is, it was a white protectionist measure then Jews were denouncing his nativism back then their, their lies hadn't been spread widely enough to take hold in the mass brain they hadn't bought enough papers they hadn't subverted enough of the academy to get away but basically by 1940 say they had because they were able to get us to go to war in a war that was solely for Jewish interest even though 90% of the people were against it according to some of the polls but by the 60s they certainly in the, in the civil rights revolution they consolidated their hold over America so it's fair to say they've dominated it since then and we don't have any major politician proposing anything that isn't on the Jewish agenda. Both sides are liberal on race. That is, they claim that race doesn't matter. If you claim that race doesn't matter, you're not a conservative. And yet all the people who pass for conservatives and are called conservatives in the newspaper and who are taken as conservatives by the, the people who are not intellectual are in fact liberals on race. So they are suborned by the Jewish agenda. They're, they're beholden to it without even realizing it, which is the best of all possible worlds for the Jew. When, when you think you're one thing, but you're actually something else. And and that's where we are today. And so you won't find any major candidate who will ever, as, as we've said, go against the Israeli uh, foreign policy. But you won't find one that will go against the uh, Jews' domestic policy for whites either, which is white dispossession through open borders and through these endless uh, welfare programs that aid minorities over whites and affirmative action. And the whole blame whitey and uh, degrade white males until they finally disappear. And that's the agenda. Yeah, well, speaking and, of dispossession, getting back to Hillary's speech, she says in 19... 19- she raised the problem of anti-Semitism in Palestinian textbooks, but now, eight years later, she continues to hear disturbing reports that these textbooks have not been changed. Yeah, and, and does she know, go to the yeshivas? <laughs> Pardon, go, go ahead, Alex. I mean, you know, this again. She doesn't know anything about Palestine or its textbooks. This stuff, what what it is, is the organized Jews put out talking points and memos. They're very well prepared, and this is what whites can learn from. They pass these out all over the place, and this is how they were able to create issues. So that if Rachel Ray, you know, shows up on some ad for Dunkin' Donuts and she's wearing a scarf, well, immediately some of the point and shriek club that includes that Debbie Schlussel and Michelle Malkin, the little 
noseless Filipino trash mountain princess you know, immediately set up a hue and cry, I swear the kafia, I, I, you know, anti-Semitism and donuts, I, you know. And, and her and, husband, Jesse Malkin, is a Jew, by the way, just for, well, for yeah, Western I mean, donuts. Yeah, from the Philippines and be named Malkin, you know. So that noseless little freak, it really is exceptionally ugly. If you've ever seen her scrunch up her little non-existent nose, it's just gross. But she and her ilk, who make up a good percentage of the blogosphere, are immediately able to you know, shriek and echo around the internet these these little claims that allow the Jews to keep their hold on these people. And one of one of these claims, oh, the Palestinians are anti-Semitism and the Palestine, oh, anti-Semitism in a cartoon that these kids are exposed to. Well, these same people, they don't tell you about when the Jews go in, and essentially, Palestine is a giant open-air prison, and the Jews have all the streets blocked off, and you can't go over here, and you have to have, you know, 35 forms of ID, and maybe they'll let you through, and maybe they won't. Uh, they don't tell you any of that reality, or that when the Jews go in, they start pumping up porn to, to morally degrade people because Jews have always believed that the way that you destroy the will to resist, the way that you get at the roots of anti-Semitism is to eliminate sexual repression. We've talked about this before. This is something not probably one person in a thousand understands. All they know is they look at TV and they see girls gone wild, that whole culture. There's a reason that that is so widespread because the Jews believe that the kind of culture that's sexually loose like that will be a culture that is not conducive to anti-Semitism because personal incontinence will lead to political incontinence. Hey, you know, I fuck anyone. Who cares who it is that I fuck? Hey, you know, I mean, anyone can be an American. I am an American. I am an American. I am an American. Hey, you know, any freaky little third worlder can be an American. You see, you see how it relates mentally? That's how they see it. That's how they wrote it up there. Authoritarian personality in which they pathologize, to use an academic word, ordinary white character, which is, you know, white fathers looking out for white families. And they've done their best not only to culturally degrade that by the endless dad is stupid meme you see on TV, but through the legal channels, they, they've made the male second class to the female. So that if the woman decides on a whim, and you know, it's certainly encouraged through Jewish TV culture, to leave the male, why all the laws are in her favor. And a, any woman can claim that she was abused by the man. If, she, if the man ever hit her, why that's physical abuse. If the man ever said something she didn't like, why that's verbal abuse. So they've created a culture in which whites are always evil and men are always wrong. And white men essentially, the only role they have to play is to accept all historical guilt all guilt for any negative circumstance of the black community. And beyond that, they can earn a paycheck and turn it over to the white woman. And that's really all they have to do. And they can also, uh, and, and, and I'll probably write this up some, at some point, uh, and I don't want to get into it today, but this, this what I'm saying, is taken to the most extreme and perverted uh, position in uh, porn, in which interracial porn is, is a very big uh, subcategory. Porn's divided into fetish categories. Interracial porn is one of them. And this anti-white meme, this uh, cuckolding, cuckolding or gelding of the white male, you see the, the mentality of that in very extreme examples in, uh, in porn. That's all I'll say. But the important thing is that all that is, is the same thing you see in ordinary mass advertising taken to the most extreme degree. But it's exactly the same mentality and politics driving it. And as, as Ben Stein said in the view from Sunset Boulevard, the Jews are a small group. They're competing for power and they hate any group that seems to stand against them. Any group that stands for continence, for stability, for, for reason, for rationality, that used to be the military 
military, the police, anything that it's all authoritarian in the Jews' eyes, they want to destroy. And ultimately, they want to destroy the white race and mass media such as TV or how they go about doing that. Wow. As, They're not far from it. Isn't, isn't Israel de- destabilizing the Jews in their parasitical homes such as UK, France, and the USA? And one, it, you can't say they have the moral high ground. I mean, the way they're treating the Palestinians is just um, horrific by any standard. You and guys see that in Europe. Like over here, they don't, <clears throat> you don't see, I, I suspect you see more than Europe. Maybe you can, you can talk about that. We don't see anything. I mean, you can go on the internet and dig up what the Israelis are doing in Palestine, but here we don't see anything about how they're terrorizing Palestinians. Everything. They don't tell you over here that, you know, basically 40 Palestinians are killed for every one Israeli. Over here, all you get are, oh, the suicide terrorist blew up another innocent Israeli citizen. That's the take in 99.9% of the media. Israel is never wrong. Over there, I suspect they, it's probably easier to get reporters in there and, and tell you a little about what they're doing. But here, it's, it's totally pro-Israel. Alex, I put up a video on Pod Blanc, and they actually did a detailed study as to what the ratio was on NPR and other networks in the U.S., and basically it cooked down to 10 to 1, the coverage, no matter that the deaths were approximately the other ratio, the, the exact opposite. In other words, 10 Palestinian children's deaths for every single Israeli child. And yet the coverage was, was flip-flopped, you see. Ten times as much coverage for the single Israeli child death relative to the ten Palestinian uh, children's deaths. No doubt it's, about it's, it. Uh, the protosphere is everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's like during, the, uh, it's like during the, the war with Lebanon. You know, Israel goes in and, and levels an entire block and that gets no coverage. But, you know, somebody fires a Katusha rocket, which is like a bottle rocket with some ball bearings in it, into Israel, <laughs> and they cover it for five hours on Fox. And you see the wailing, you know, Israeli oldster who has a hole in her apartment building. They don't show you in any proportion what's actually going on. To understand that, you actually have to read a little bit and think, and uh, those are two things Americans don't like to do. Well, another story that came out recently was a mass Bible burning in Israel by Orthodox Jews. That I, I wonder, No video on that, eh? Just no film. No yeah, video. well, that's going up the pod blind, better believe that. But yeah, that those types of idiosyncrasies, I think in time, if they do get out, uh, could very well unravel uh, the whole mystique of uh, that shiny... Shining example in the Middle East. I'd like to see that. I, I have, uh, being in forum in the, uh, near the top, I have, you know, kind of our nutshell summary of, of why Jews are the white family's greatest enemy. And part of that is persuading Christians, look, you're being misled by your preachers. Here's what Jews actually think of Christians. And one of the stories we have is of Jews routinely spitting on Christians and at churches as they pass by. And they have also, I haven't seen a recent story on them burning Bibles, but yeah, they've done that in the past. And there are only a handful of Christian preachers in the U.S. who will tell you the truth about Israel, and we link to them well, regularly. One of the ironies of that is that their 2,000-year-old media and propaganda is still serving them well and dovetailing into their current interests, and uh, most Christians either don't have the intellect or the fortitude to realize that the eventual transiting out of this consciousness is painful for everybody, you know, to contemplate that. So, therefore, they uh, supplant that pain with, with their religiosity, magicalness. Well, you, you would think that the Jews having killed Jesus is enough to kind of 
teach anybody, even the dimmest Christian, that these guys are not your friend. If they killed Jesus, why would they balk at killing or lying to you? But your average Christian is, it's unfair to compare him to a sheep in terms of the sheep are likely to go their own way than a Christian. The Christian's going to listen to whatever the moron in, in front of the flock is telling him. And so, you know, you do what you can. You fight for the marginal man who happens to have been a Christian, since all of us were raised in that, and most white people are, but the smart ones can get away from it. And what you uh, <coughs> what you see is there's a hell of a lot of evidence that the, the, the Israelis don't like Christians, even when the Christians support them. We've seen that time and time again. They they may like them, some of the money raised by the rapture bunnies. They may like the soldiers sent over there, but they are still hateful, paranoid, and hostile to the people who flesh out the ranks of the onward-rushing Christian soldiers. Now, one meme that has really been more prevalent the last five years, it's become really pronounced. And by that, I mean you see it in, in movies, you hear it on shows, whatever. Did you know Jesus was a Jew? This is kind of the ultimate chutzpah from these people. Here they are. They killed Jesus. They say, his blood be upon us and upon our children. And now 2,000 years later, and of course the modern Israelis have nothing to do with the Jews in the, in the Old Testament, but leaving that aside for a moment. Now 2,000 years later, it's always, oh, did you know Jesus was a Jew? And if you ever hear anyone say that, the right response was, no, I knew he was murdered by Jews, though. You know, and, and that's about the only way you can return fire on that one. It's, it's utterly ridiculous. And it's of a piece with their claim that, you know, oh, God will hurt those who hurt Israel. God will bless those who help Israel. Well, there's not much you can do with someone who's that dumb and superstitious. They believe things like that. You can also say, you know, before 1948, we didn't have any enemies in the Middle East. And all these people who go to AIPAC and they start, oh, Iran's such a problem. Look, Iran didn't say anything about wiping Israel off the map. That was a translation that came through about five levels of Jews before it ever got to you. That's not what Aminadad said. And, but it's treated as though it's true, which is true of the Holocaust and everything else that Jews assert, but Jews are always lying. Almost everything they say is a lie. And so their claim to be the Jews of the Bible is a lie. Their claim that there was this Holocaust is a lie. But they've got all the major politicians singing their tune. You know, you can't debate something and Hillary Clinton's denouncing the men who went over to Iran and used real freedom of speech to discuss a very important issue. But of course, our bought politicians in the U.S. just have to repeat the party line and probably don't care as long as they, they get power. That's what they want. That's their agenda. And you know, I, I don't even know. It's interesting to speculate on whether someone like Hillary Clinton realizes that <clears throat> there really is a real debate on what happened in World War II, and the Jews have already abandoned many settled positions. They've abandoned the claim that Hitler made Jews into lampshades. They've abandoned the claim that the Nazis made Jews into soap. They've abandoned the claim that Jews were gassed uh, anywhere in Germany. They've abandoned the claim that four million were killed at Auschwitz. I mean, there is not one claim advanced by Jews that they have not backed off on to a very great degree, and at some point the claim will be utterly destroyed that they ever gassed anybody, the Nazis. Yeah, the plaque out front of Auschwitz went down to one and a half million. Yeah. And yet yeah, well, the overall six million didn't budge. Oh, Jewish mathematics. It, the first thing you do is reverse it. And 99% of the time you'll have the truth. Right, because well, they're kind of like a photo negative of, of honest Aryans. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's a big spy trial. It's still ongoing, right? Uh, with APAC plus this new Ben-Ami Kaddish thing. Well, there's more APAC uh, Pollard criminality of spying on, on our country, and I, I guess none of them managed to make any notice of that when they spoke before APAC. The only person who seems to write about this regularly is the uh, is Justin Raimondo, who is a, uh, a queer, uh, either of Sicilian and or Jewish descent, 
And the last thing he wrote, what, what he basically said was, yeah, they're trying this Larry Franklin, and I forget the other Jew for APAC, but uh, Franklin is a Catholic who is basically over there. He, he works very closely with Israel. He was over in the Middle East where our army is. He was on the phone continually to Israel, receiving instructions and passing over classified information by the bundle. And he has a couple good quotes on that. And this guy's up for trial, and I guess he's singing because he might get like 25 years, but basically already I think one judge in the trial has already left because there's a lot of pressure. The Jews are not reporting on this, they're hushing it up. They don't want you, the average person, to know the extent to which they control this country. I mean, it would be obvious to anyone with brains that when you've got, you know, three major contenders for office who go to APAC and they say exactly the same thing to the point their words are interchangeable, it ought to be obvious that they're afraid of something, you know, and, and here we go. These people are spying on us. They're getting us involved in wars that we, we don't have the money to fund. Depending on who, who you believe, the U.S. government is either $9 trillion in debt or $50 trillion. I think the $50 trillion is if you include all the, essentially what the states call unfunded mandates or, or essentially where where what we are forced to come up with to satisfy the entitlement programs. That is, anyone who meets the conditions is entitled to receive this and this money. Well, where do we get the money to carry on these foreign wars that are costing you know, over a billion dollars a day? I mean, we get that by having the Jews at the Fed print money. And that money has to come from somewhere, and where it comes from is out of the, the pockets of people like you and me, middle class or working class people. They are the ones who have to pay, you know, 50 cents for a potato or, you know, a dollar for a bag of potato chips that cost 25 cents when I was a kid. You know, back in the mid-70s in elementary school. I mean, we have to pay the cost of the rising gas. The Jews and the rest of these people, they get first dibs in the newly created money. Imagine that you're living in your, your city. Imagine you had a printing press that printed money. W- what would you do? You you would, you know, you printed up the money. You go out and, and buy the very best of what's out there. What's that going to do? It's going to mean there's a limited stock of goods available and the price is going to shoot up on them. Meanwhile, you've had all, all the first dibs on getting what's best. That's what inflation is. That's how it's created. The insiders, the people at the banks, the people who own the political process, and, and most of them are Jews, not all of them, but most of them, they are creating this money out of nothing. They're essentially legally counterfeiting it. It's not illegal to do what they do. It's a form of legal theft from you and me. You have to work to get money. You have to earn money. It's not easy to acquire money. All they have to do is print it and spend it. Right, and they and, basically launder it through their banking institution. Sure, they launder it through their banking institution. For every new dollar they get, they're, uh, they're allowed to loan out, you know, a multiple, like 10 times. And hedge so the- funds, things like Merrill Lynch too, Bear Stearns. Yeah, and when they bail them out, where do you think that comes from? That Their purchasing power that they speculated with and lost, you have to pay for that. And that's what inflation is. It's just that it's through behind a couple of screens so it's not easy to see. So that you don't get mad and go attack them for essentially turning you into a slave because you have to work half the year to pay off the government's debts. And the government spends all the money that it, it, it takes and it's not only living the high life, but creating these foreign wars. And what good is coming of it? And yet still, it's able to maintain enough control that there's not an active revolution. There's, there's no one even talking about it. People seem pretty happy. Do they like what's going on? I, I don't know. I don't see much evidence they don't like it. They may feel... Well, Dr. Well, Dr. Pearson, you too. Alex always said it's because they control the media. It just bears repeating because they're not going to give up that control. No, they're not going to give up that control. And, and, you know, I see a lot of white people saying this and that. I mean, we have to work at the margins. We have to work on our personal stuff. But we have to be realistic uh, and and we should never forswear violence. I mean, we're up against the most violent people in the world. I mean, you don't, you don't realize because they don't show you what exactly they've done in Iraq. They have killed hundreds of thousands of people. And I assure you, these people are not terrorists. They're just Iraqis living their lives, minding their business. They don't give any thought to the U.S. at all. But these Americans who 
are ego drenched and they think they are the measure of all things and we are the greatest country ever. You know, every country believes that to an extent, but I would be surprised if Americans don't believe that to a greater extent. Of course, 90% of these people have never left the country. They don't have a passport. They don't know anything, but they're encouraged. And uh, Craig, I tell you, the mass media in this, for, for whatever reason, uh, I was receiving Time magazine for a few months due to some mistake. Because uh, let me tell you, I would never subscribe to Time. It's a piece of shit. But, you know, just reading that for a few weeks, uh, you know, all it does, and it's always been a front piece, just like Newsweek for the CIA and for the government, it's just, it's eternally blowing smoke up the ass of Americans. Americans are people who are essentially overgrown children, and they enjoy being lied to. They enjoy being flattered and made to feel important, and that's all you have to do to manipulate them. And there, Americans have many good things about them, but there really is a very dangerous childishness. It really is like, honey, I blew up the kids. You know, that movie with that little kite, Rick Moranis, and that this two-year-old becomes giant and becomes a danger because it doesn't really know what it's doing. America is very much like that. These people have no clue how they are manipulated and lied to. And Time Magazine, I mean, oh, you American people are so smart. The experts said this was going to happen, but you showed them. You're not ready to... It's just endlessly in that vein. Endlessly. And let me tell you, these people have been around 100 years. They know what sells. They've done... They do very, very careful to mark marketing research, when they write junk mail to get you to subscribe to a magazine, it's very carefully measured in terms of the response they get. So when you get these flattering letters from the editors and the publisher, the whole idea, and I probably talked about this before, but when they're trying to sell you some kind of a men's magazine, I, I don't mean like a porn, I mean like a Maxim or Esquire or something like that. They're very careful psychologically to, and what, what the approach they always take is you're just a little bit ahead of the curve. You know, Craig, you're just a little bit smarter than the average bear. Probably a little bit better too. You got a little bit more in the bulk. Not so much that you stand out. Tell you're a pretty sharp guy, Craig. I feel like you need. Yeah, well, to know. here's the thing. If any of us who who have figured out some of it, and we confront these childlike Americans you mentioned, their reaction it falls somewhere between. Uh, a twilight zone flight from you to uh, uh, reviling you as a next to a mass murderer, you know, a you're right. serial killer or something. I'm so tired of that. Yeah, they, they'll no. flee as if you're a leper or something. It's really amazing in the face of all these evidences we have and show. And I mean, it's so baldly obvious now. Well, James, and yet it's the still... final childish response of a childish person. Well, they, I have they... family members. I know I've mentioned this. They, they, they don't care. They'll they'll say you're out. You know, you're out of the loop completely. It's amazing the lengths to which they'll go. I think the thing is, you have to realize that these people accept what's put in front of them, and you're not going to get them. The most you can do with people like that is put a little seed of doubt. If they think you're a fundamentally solid person, and you seem in all the conventional ways to be, uh, to meet the criteria, then you can implant a seed of doubt. But they're never going to come right around. Many of them never will come around at all. But you can plant a seed of doubt, and that's the most you can do. So that's why, essentially what we do is pick up people at the margin. And that's what Pierce did. Well, they'll, they'll come around if unemployment hits 20%, Alex. It's 5.5. It went up 1% of the past month. Or exactly. half a percent, I guess it was. Yeah. They will entertain alternative explanations the minute that the status quo stops providing the beer in the ball games, And that's just how it is. And it's a biological fact. It's, yeah. it's We don't need to blame ourselves or think that a different approach will make that much of a difference. It won't. Mm-hmm. I mean, we should do the best we can do in our various ways, and we do. But uh, un- unless you can, tr- and until you control TV, you're not going to get the 
mass of people. And controlling TV is the same thing as taking power in a revolution. It's not yielded by the Jews. But the minute you control TV, they will uh, they'll sing our tune. That's just a fact of the matter because the mass of people do not think. They accept what is uh, what is put in front of them to a, a large degree. And they do want us to eschew violence. They really do. That's really an important linchpin for them. Well, to get us to. to. I'm, I'm talking about more people who are on our side ostensibly, and they always say, "Oh, blah blah blah." Now I'm not talking about people like, "Hey, Craig, I want to build some uh, some bombs. Can you come over and teach me?" Not talking about that kind of idiocy. I'm just talking about discussions of uh, discussions of violence and how violence might be used to alter a situation. Now our government uses violence in almost every situation. It doesn't allow any free speech at all. I mean, look at look at a. Uh, you could say we're better than almost every country on earth, but to say that that there's a genuine alternative in the press, or you can even take a Ron Paul position. I mean, the treatment of Ron Paul should have disabused anybody who thinks there's any kind of free debate in this country. Ron Paul was roundly smeared and abused. Now he made some mistakes. We've talked about that before, but you know they don't. They're, they're they have their game plan and their agenda, and they're going to destroy anybody who goes athwart it. Right. He was a coup. Yeah. They'll they'll write you off, and they know that the American. I think who was the Frenchman who came over here in the 1800s and wrote about the country, and he he basically said Tocqueville. just that. Uh, what was his name? Uh, I think it was Tocqueville. Alex. Yeah. Exactly. Tocqueville. Tocqueville came over here and said, no, basically, nowhere is there so much conformity as in you know the land of the free. Nowhere is somebody more afraid to hold an independent opinion than in this wonderful democratic land of liberty. And I think you, that's what Craig's talking about. That's what I see very much. I mean, you, you either, you know, you're going against the force if you state something. And I, I've seen this a lot. In the last couple of months, I have basically been out of, the, out of the picture. But I have done a little bit of posting on some uh, uh, non-political sites that have a political section. I've really gotten uh, to see what, uh, and, and, you know, I say exactly the same things I'm saying here. Maybe I alter it a little bit uh, because they're quick to ban people. But the average American has been so trained that what the average American will say if I say something like 90% of all interracial crime is black on white, if I say basically all interracial rapes are black on white, the average American will respond, how long have you hated blacks? Some variation of that. I'm not kidding. And if you say anything, now they are open to, to a greater extent on, on Israel than even on, on race, I would say. They are they are closed off on like homos and race. People think homos are funny, but they will love uh, uh, even on mainstream stuff. If you start saying citing anti uh, homo statistics, uh, you'll get banned. People will be like, I you you can tell it comes from their corporate training. It's like I feel very uncomfortable in this environment. If you start saying I didn't know that homophobes were allowed to post here openly, you'll start getting that. That's how deep the communism has gone into America. That's how afraid people are to speak their their true mind or even allow anyone even to be in the same room with someone who holds a non PC opinion yeah, and you'll get pretty quickly yeah, same black stats or homostats on jews in israel they're a little more open but still basically the, the numbskulls will immediately jump in how long have you hated jews if you start citing any kind of facts about about israel and our relations to it yeah that's sort of like these automatic chi- first off childish uh responses and secondly emotional argumentation oh uh, you know ages uh, the american people to a large measure are kind of amateur jews now and, and that's what uh what dershowitz said America's been trained to think Jewishly. This is what it means. All these people have been watching Fox for so many years now. They've learned to respond to any kind of argument or fact with a smear. A smear and this harsh, nasty laughter that you get from someone like Sean Hannity or Bill O'Reilly. When they can't deal with any evidence, you know, we call that childish or whatever, but this, this is how these people have been trained to respond and think is an argument. It really, it's pathetic. They've taken what could be ordinary, good, solid Aryan stock, had it proper leadership, and they've turned it into these amateur little Jews. That they're pathetic little mis 
dispelled lies and smears and their fear. They've also and done it through the school system. They get them while they're young, and that's how they how they developed Obama Nation. These kids' well, reasoning ability and logic is just out the window. It's non-existent. Have you heard Hillary Clinton speak about anti-white uh, memes in in American school books? Has she said anything about that? You know, replacing. Well, I will say, even even the feminists for for Hillary, Alex, as as far gone as they are over the decades, even they at the very end they're sort of for their race, not only in the service of Hillary, but because they they were actually bothered by it. I think some of those old uh, older white women in their 50s, you know, they remember the country, how it used to be, somewhere in their heart of hearts. And uh, they took umbrage at it at some point, a few of them. And I thought that was pretty good. When Hillary looks like the far right-wing candidate, you know we're pretty bad off. You know. What I've I've seen in, in life is a lot of the leftists who are super super feminist. In reality, they're they they can act just like the uh, patriarchal assholes of their caricature toward women. They'll be super if the w- woman tries to oppose them. They'll get real insulting in that way that they claim they don't like. And that little play the butch role. Well, I mean, I mean the uh, that's what you saw a little with that Hillary stuff. I mean, oh, why isn't she getting out of the race? Well, I don't know. Maybe she wanted to stay in it till the end. She had no legal reason to get out. And boy, they started really going after her. Yeah, she and, didn't and, want to come across like a wimp, so she ended up uh, handicapping of the Democratic Party. Well, you know, they they've so sold, and this is part of the brainwashing. They've sold the Americans this idea that uh, it's super uh, progressive to have like a nigger as president. <laughs> And uh, going to get elected without the South. Was going to get Georgia, Florida. No doubt. Well, yeah. you know, you don't achieve this stuff overnight. They keep, they keep chip, 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 chipping away yeah. at this. Yeah. And you know, with the changing demographics over time, they tend to achieve what they want. That's that's what we're talking about. It never gets any better for us. It only gets worse. You know, we touched upon the emotionalism, but but also the ostracism that these people use, always relying on a, a, a common ground of, of higher moral. Uh, uh, a higher moral standing than the hater that they're confronting and, and ostracized. Yeah, I've thought about it a hell of a lot. And yeah, you, 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 I saw an article just the other day. I don't have the link at hand, but you know, the wounds, they have their, just as Catholics have their saints and their martyrs. I mean, they have the same, oh, the four little black girls at the Birmingham church. You're like, okay, four girls died or what in, were injured in a bombing, but there's never any acknowledgement given that there is another side, let alone any weighing on scales of the difference. And yet we can take our million raped women, murdered men, or whatever you want to call it, we can cite millions of crimes committed by these liberated blacks, but they'll they'll just ignore it. And the Jews at NPR will do their millionth feature on, you know, Birmingham race relations today. So the other side is never acknowledged, let alone do they weigh it up. Because when you weigh it up, you find that civil rights isn't moral, it's immoral. But, you know, since the Jews have taken over the uh, the mass media, they can portray it any way they want. And, and this view, the view that they put out, which is a false view, is also put out through the textbooks, the contents of which are controlled through the Jews at the Department of Education, through the writer's guidelines. They force these giant textbook companies and the writers they employ to use, and they can portray reality any way they want. And so, you know, civil rights is moral. It was the dark ages before before civil rights. But the truth is otherwise, and that's what we have to keep insisting on. Here are the real facts. You're being screwed, white people. You're being raped and murdered in the name of this moral civil rights revolution. Only Jews could think it's, it's wonderful and moral to kill people. But they don't. They think it's wonderful and moral for, for non-Jews, for Jews' enemies to be killed. Most of their holidays are about their mass murders of non-Jews. Right, that's uh, progress. Yeah, that's that's progress. It's progress to Jews to have millions of whites violently attacked by blacks each and every year. And none of these were happening before the Civil Rights Revolution. Interracial rape was about 3%. You know, a few whites rape blacks and a few blacks rape whites. After Civil Rights, it's all one way. Rape, murder, all one way. Because the Jews prevented white communities from defending themselves legally 
responsibility. So legally, they have to basically, they, they pinned us down. They pinned our daughters and, and mothers and sisters' legs down and allowed the niggers to rape them. You aren't yeah, allowed well, not to Not only that, but they convinced us that uh, we deserve it for what we did to the blacks for a couple of hundred years. So it's just just desserts coming home to roost. And that's another meme you can find in porn also. Whites deserve everything. They deserve to be wiped out. They're uniquely evil people. They deserve to be raped and murdered by these niggers who they've oppressed for 400 years. First of all, only a few hundred thousand niggers were ever brought to the U.S. Second of all, they were almost all brought over in Jew-owned ships, a little point which never makes it into your kid's textbook. Third of all, those few hundred thousand niggers multiplied into over 35 million today. Basically what happened was, you know, we, we it's like calling the kid up from single A ball to the major leagues. They ought to be kissing our ass for showing how the, the real professionals do it. And then when we had segregation, the talented 10th, the 1 in 10 black who can more or less fake being a civilized human like a white, when segregation, a white policy ended, those niggers who were able integrated to some degree into the white community, leaving the 90% of ghetto hood rats behind, they can't do anything. All they can do is, the police can do is, you know, throw a tent over that circus and, and try to keep down some of the most extreme wildness. And even that over time becomes impossible because their numbers grow so rapidly. So there ain't nothing good ahead for America or any country with black people in it, yet the media are able to sell this eye. Oh, it's so progressive to vote for a black. America has come so far, and you see these idiotic fangirls like Keith Olbermann and Chris Matthews who are basically wetting themselves and probably getting yeast infections. They're so thrilled. Oh, we're going to elect a black man. A black man can be president in America. What, what wonderful progress we've made. Let me tell you, black political leadership is not progress. Anywhere that has a black politician is, is pretty likely to be a miserable and bankrupt area. Whether it's Zimbabwe, South Africa, Detroit, Washington, D.C., there is no good area that is led by a the black. The south side of Chicago, maybe? Obama's district? That's a bombed-out zone. <laughs> Police assigned to Judge Barbara Walters. San Angelo, Texas. House were provided dossiers with photos of 16 men and women deemed as a threat. There are, quote, there are individuals who are willing to give up their life for the cause, and you can never underestimate what they are capable of. Well, we've seen this time and time again. Any kind of a threat, even an imaginary threat, as in this case, against a judge is taken far more seriously than real threats against whites. So that judges who have been some of the prime implementers of the Jewish agenda, and remember Jews have achieved a complete domination of law school, the minute that they feel threatened, why they put out a letter and they get all the special homeland security defending them in their house. Well, who's going to defend you from some of these judges' decisions? They can decide, oh, we're going to steal your kids. We don't need anything other than a hoax phone call as the basis for seizing 450 children. You know, they should be threatened. It's a good thing the judges feel threatened. That's the only thing that will hold them to the law because when you have the paper and the judges agreed on a liberal agenda that's against what ordinary people want, there is nothing to check them but physical power. Now, that's something that most of you and the conservatives won't tell you, but that's the only thing that will hold the judges to the law as written, because often enough they've been liberal activists, because it's easier to place these judges than to get people with the Jewish liberal agenda elected, even with their control of the media and law school. And so you often have them as the cutting edge. Well, if the people won't do this, we'll just uh, impose it by sheer force, as we'll talk about later in the EU referendum that Ireland rejected. I mean, the elite have their agenda, the Jew-dominated elite have their agenda, and if you're against it, they don't want you to 
express that. They don't want you to have any outlet. Well, the violence is one of the ways you can fight back against corrupt judges. And it doesn't even have to be violence. A lot of times the threat of violence or the fear of violence is a way to fight back against judges. And it's it's just funny. They make so many decisions letting people go who are criminals, who are <clears throat> not drug criminals, but real criminals. They let them go into your neighborhood. You know, what's it to them? It doesn't affect their life. But yet when they feel the slightest threat, they go absolutely nuts. And they start screaming for protection. They start demanding that even people who were already in prison, who wrote them a letter they didn't like, be jailed, you know, have another 10 years thrown in their sentence. So basically a lot of these judges are just left-wing female kibitzers. You know, they're, they're kind of on looking at life and, and they think their imp- opinion is very important, but they don't want to play by the same rules that, that the people they judge are subject to. So I always like it when judges are threatened. I mean, it, d- does anybody really feel bad when a cop or a judge is killed? Not anybody who's good. <laughs> poor. Nobody who has ever been in a court and, and seen what an utter load of rubbish it is feels bad when a judge is threatened or killed or a cop and let's throw uh, lawyers in there as well well yeah you know the, these prosecutors who can you know multiply charges on a whim who can work with the cops to tell lies and force you to spend thousands of dollars I mean, even a simple misdemeanor is going to cost you thousands of dollars to defend you know the system is geared to help them it's certainly not geared to help you and so anytime one of these system hacks is taken out i mean who can cry about it it's something to celebrate i mean make a cake my god it's great <laughs> one of the ticks have been pulled That's off the dog. Dead judge, that's right. <laughs> a headless decoration. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was a party and somebody didn't come. <laughs> I mean, if you know anything about American history, mobs of people used to go to judges' houses and rouse them out of bed and hang them or threaten them. Say, look, if you're not going to carry out justice, we're going to carry out justice on you. And that's what kept those, you know, that's what kept them in line. Because if you don't keep these people in line, they're going to get very, very arrogant. And these people... Going to. Well, yeah, not all people are inherently like that. It's just that over time, when you take the media being one way, you take the Jewish takeover of law schools, you know, 50% of the, the illegal professors at the top law schools are literally Jews. And the other ones, believe me, they're not hostile to Jews. Or if they are, they better not express it. Over time, this creates a culture of, you know what Jews are like, extreme arrogance, extreme chutzpah. Well, in, in legal terms, chutzpah takes the form of, you know, screw the laws it's written. Here's what it really means. The text, the author's not the definer of, of what the text means. The, the reader is. Critical legal studies. The law means whatever whatever we want it to mean, and what it means. It means. There's an like agenda. the word force in because the new uh, Homegrown Terrorism Act. Whatever we say it, it means. Could it means be forceful language. At, at this time, whatever our agenda is at this time, well, that's what the law really means. I mean, it, it's a typically Jewish way of looking at things. Arrogant, brazen, lying to advance an ethno-specific agenda that is always anti-white. Always anti-white. And this is the system that's going to judge white men? No Jew ever has the right to judge white men anywhere at any time. That's an absolute principle. Yeah. Now, it's a matter of your power. You're going to want to tactically be careful about how you act on that principle, but that is the principle. No Jew has a right to judge a white, ever. There are people who believe they are chosen by God, they are special, and non-Jews are animal. Those people are, if Matt Hale is not fit to be a lawyer because he observes the facts about racial differences, then no Jew certainly is is fit to be a lawyer anywhere because they believe that non-Jews aren't even human. 
But then again, that's what Jews are. They're the people of the double standard. And the double standard always benefits them and always injures you, white man listening to this. The Jews are not your friend. They are your enemy. Always. Yeah. Well, Alex, this, this judge by the name of Barbara Walters, I mean, that's almost like a bad joke. What emotional rationalizations did she I doubt she's a Jew either. I'm sure she's probably just German. Yeah. I had to get... Well, what emotional rationalizations did she use to oh, they, carry out that decision to take 440 kids away from their parents? Oh, they, these women don't need anything other than, you know, the state is... Women are very, very, very pro-authority. They, they are not built for questioning. And so the state is always right, and they've been fed their whole lives, especially one who's been to law school and has been operating. The, the, the idea that the state could ever be wrong or not be the best person to look out for the interests of the kids, it doesn't even occur to them. I look at someone like Nancy Grace, and I don't know what Walter's like personally, but you have these extremely self-righteous, know-it-all types who are very, very brittle and shrill. And these people are never going to doubt for a minute that the state has the right to do whatever it wants. There are women and children being abused here, and who is going to look out for them? And basically, what it allows them is, is to exercise their dislike for white male authority. So they see people they don't like, namely the, the people running this Mormon sect, and then they cast about for a way to bring them down. And anyone who's smart can always come up with a reason for doing anything. So they say, oh, well, you know, underage sex, and uh, they're doing this and that, and uh, yeah, take them down. And, you know, they can say, oh, there's a pattern of abuse and what have you, and that's enough. They don't really need much of a pretext. And now, what was the phone call? Who, who made the phone call. Rosita Swinton yeah. from Colorado Springs. I know about that. Rosita mm -hmm. Swinton. She was an Obama delegate in her local hood, not to the national convention, but on the state level, I believe. And uh, she'd already been uh, prosecuted and was actually on probation for having done some variation uh, of lying to authorities about that. And uh, she didn't like the Mormons because they were, uh, they, they taught that Negroes are, are devils incarnate, you know, lower forms of life, basically, except they call it a devil. So what, she yeah. called up the self-help self line and uh, that was that? No, she imitated, uh, she said She said that she was a 16-year, or was it 16? I think 16, maybe younger, maybe 14, 14, I think. And and she had a twin sister and uh, the, their dad was banging them and all of a sudden her twin oh. sister, sister was disappeared. And you know, I remember following on the news before they even knew who she was, you know, and you think, oh, boy, must be under 18 inches of dirt out there under the mesquite. It's so sad. <laughs> Where is she, you know? But uh, no. No, it was Rosita Swinton up there in her nice apartment in Colorado Springs, just ringing them up. And even if the call was made, this may have been uh, not just a hoax, but a setup, because yeah. that's what they do a lot of times. And people, maybe some of you out there are listening to this, are single males and you don't have kids or whatever, maybe you need to understand that the way it's set up now, and I've said this before, is anyone can make an anonymous phone call to CPS, Child Protective Services, or whatever it's called in your state, maybe Division of Family and, and you know Health, something like that. Anybody who can make an an anonymous phone call claiming abuse is going on and by law the CPS has to investigate. Now it may it'll come to your house and it'll, it'll have, you know, a form and it'll say, you know, no reason and they have to end up checking one of these boxes, no reason to investigate further or, you know, kids need to be taken away or requires further investigation at a later time. They got to check one of those. And you'll probably have a female come and it'll probably be a female who's been drenched in exactly the kind of mentality that, that Walter exhibited. Walters? Walter, whatever her name was. And these people have full legal power over your family, your children. That is a power that traditionally belonged to the male, the father of the, of the children, the leader of the family. But today, the state has that power, and the, the state's power is 
made manifest or it's it's uh it appears to you in the form of basically lawyers and very often feminist lawyers or jews and and that's how it's carried out and what you want doesn't really matter someone who's a family court judge for example Alex, there's a, a case right now in canada in which they're trying to take I, I bet they'll achieve it too they're taking the kids away from a white nationalist couple because they said what they're being taught is so totally inappropriate they're not fit parents and canada is so bad on every level of white identity that one can't help but think that it's actually worse than the United States, which is a well, pity because it's probably the most beautiful country on earth. But, you know. This, the, yeah, this is, a, let's read a little of this article, but, but let's make the point before we get into it that this is yet a step further than we've seen. It, it's seizing the kids not even on the pretext of some kind of abuse. It's seizing them purely because the state does not like what the children are being taught by the parents. Mm-hmm. All right, this is from the Sun News in Canada. Complete police state. Yeah. Go ahead, read us the relevant parts. Okay, Manitoba kids seized over Nazi concerns. Winnipeg. The Manitoba government has seized two young children from a Winnipeg home based on concerns their father, an alleged neo-Nazi, was filling their heads and marking their bodies with messages of hate. The government agency is now seeking a permanent order of guardianship based on ongoing concerns about the safety of the seven-year-old girl and two-year-old boy. Okay, let's pause there for a second and dissect this. For those who think it's pronounced dissect, look it up, asshole. It's not. All right. uh, That interjection behind us. Okay, so it's seized. There we have a verb. That actually means something. It's seized two kids based on concern. I have many concerns, but I'm not allowed to go around seizing people. (laughs) (laughs) I seized everybody I was concerned about. My God, I wouldn't make it 20 feet down the street. You know, I see this old dude walking around with a staff. I think he might be a terrorist. So I seized him. I had concerns. legitimate concerns. Somehow the law failed to back me up. But anyway, so the state can seize people because it has concerns. And an alleged neo-Nazi, what does that mean? I mean, the, the, the word Nazi is, is so misused that no one knows what that what that means. It's effectively a caricature, and yet they're they're using legal language combined with political language. So you have alleged neo-Nazi. I mean, that, that doesn't mean a damn thing. And he what, was he, what was he doing? He was filling their heads. Why, that's a crime in all civilized lands. Well, like Fill- a teapot yeah. fills a cup? Well, I mean... You know, filling their heads, he's telling them things that he believes in. I mean, haven't people always done that with their children? What's he going to tell them things he doesn't believe in? Oh, he's only allowed to tell them things that the state approves. Otherwise, the state will have concerns that will justify their seizing the children. Then, you know, we have, he was marking their bodies with messages of hate. With a ballpoint pen or what? (laughs) The little kid tattoos? Isn't it cute? (laughs) Thank you, Daddy. Just ridiculous. And they're trying to take his kids for good. Permanent order of guardianship based upon their concerns about him filling their heads and marking their bodies. Hmm. This is just utterly meaningless stuff. They don't like what the man believes, so they steal his kids. That's what it boils down to. Well, here we go. The mother of the children is also named in the CFS application as being unfit to parent based on her relationship with her husband. Well, Aegis, come on. You, you, there's a couple. Listen to the paragraphs above that. Let's let, listen to this, how outrageous this is. Okay, so a court of Queen's Bench case is ongoing with the next hearing set for today. The children may be at risk due to the parents' behavior and associates. The parents might endanger the emotional well-being of the ch- What the hell? Child and Family Services wrote in court documents obtained by the Winnipeg Free Press. So, because the kids may be at risk and there might be danger to their emotional 
emotional well-being. I mean, could anything be more vague or ridiculous? They are allowed to seize children because they might be. They don't even claim that they are at risk. They might be at risk. Their emotional well-being could be endangered. So you can take my kids. How about playing hip hop? Turn them into wiggers. Yeah. The two-year-old's still crapping himself anyway. How's it going to be affecting? He can't. He's not even aware enough that he's crapping himself. I don't think he's that sensitive, is he? He's going to notice swastikas on him or something. Is he not listening to Ice Cube yet? (laughs) That's right. <laughs> He's not bopping, bopping to the rhythm. And see, the, the thing about this is, is the CPS. I mean, these people are, are basically the prosecutor and the judge at the same time. You know, it, it's like two on one. They don't have to do anything other than make. I mean, what kind of a vague claim is that? They don't even have a specific claim to make against these people, and they stole their kids. Well, here we go. A judge recently ordered a psychological report on the father as part of the ongoing case. The results have not been finalized. Uh, does that mean, uh, what, he's he's uh, insane? He's, he's yeah, medicalization of dissent, just like in the USSR. Solzhenitsyn wrote about it a lot. That's what they're doing. That's what they do to us. Anybody, anybody who dares talk against them. Now how about blacks? Are they going into black homes? And, uh... No, they're, they're going to the presidency. <laughs> If you're a black supremacist, that's cool. These people are basically asserting you have to believe what they want you to believe or they can steal your children. And the newspapers are backing them up, as always. I mean, if that's not a functioning tyranny, I don't know what you would call it. You have to believe that diversity is good. You have to believe that race mixing is good. You have to believe there's nothing to be proud about being white. You can't in any way teach your kids what you really believe. You have to teach them what we say you should believe. I mean, Canada is about as totalitarian as it gets. Maybe they can torture the guy and give him electroshock until he believes the right things. I mean, it is a democracy. And this, this to me, is a, this is a, really a step beyond, but it's relevant, you know, to the FLDS in the U.S. where, you know, they reach their conclusions about child endangerment and all that based on the politics of the parents. I haven't seen anything in the U.S. that goes quite that far, but, you know, using one spurious claim of abuse as a, as a reason to seize 450 children is going pretty darn far. And it says a lot. I mean, when I read that the judge ruled, re- reversed what Walter said or ordered the children to be returned, I was frankly amazed. I was amazed there was a judge left in the U.S. who wouldn't side with the state. And that was, that was good news. But that they thought they could get away with it at all is a measure of how far things have gone, where the state has all rights and nobody dare rise against it and it can wiretap whatever it wants it can force everybody to go along with the agenda uh that's not a land of the free by any means but canada is even worse well we have another canadian story um canada orders pastor to renounce his faith we have here in a decision that foreshadows the possible fate of canada's leading pro-life voice among catholic clergy the alberta human rights tribunal has forbidden evangelical pastor stephen Poussin from expressing his moral opposition to homosexuality the tribunal also ordered Busson to pay five thousand dollars damages for pain and suffering and to apologize to the human rights activists who filed the complaint yeah, so you, you if you don't have the right opinions about homosexuality, you can be fined $5,000 in Canada, forced to apologize, and forbidden from ever saying such things again. 
And that's how bad it is. And homosexuals, of course, have always been a tiny and disgusting minority that is, is ridicu ridiculous to dangerous to normal people who have insisted that they keep their nasty behavior underground. Now, when the Jews take control of the society and let these things come out of the closet and start flourishing and in the open like crazy human cockroaches like you see in the San, San Francisco uh, gay pride parades, I mean, you see what uh, how disturbed these queers really are. And the minute that they have any kind of power, they're going to suppress anybody who doesn't like how they act doesn't like what they do and points out the consequences and how they negatively affect the rest of us through their crazy sexual behavior. But uh, where they have the power, just like the Jews, they will forbid all dissent, forbid all criticism, suppress all dissent, suppress all countervailing views, even if those views have been around for thousands of years and are encoded in the dominant religion. And, uh, you know, welcome to the new age. Yeah. Queer's good, nigger's good, white's bad, white males especially bad. Yeah, the government <laughs> tribunal ordered the Christian pastor to cease publishing in newspapers, by email, on the radio, in public speeches, or on the internet, in future disparaging remarks about gays and homosexuals. Moreover, the tribunal's decision prohibited Busson from making disparaging remarks in the future about the activists who filed the complaint and witnesses who supported the complaint. Yeah, I mean, th this is all very shadowy and, like they say, you know, quasi-legal. So some faggot, or as they say, activist, files a complaint with the Alberta Human Rights and a quasi-judicial body. So this is how you have, you know, where Jews take over a country and they control Canada as much as they control the U.S. because they own the media. And I don't know about Canadian law schools, but I'm sure it's quite the same as in the U.S. But certainly it's the same in the media. You know, they redefine everything to their own advantage. And, and these faggots are basically disease-laden uh, queers uh, are more or less cat's paws for the kites. And they run around and, and anybody they don't like, anybody who's right pro-white or even just pro-traditional morality, they want to get them out of any position of power where they can influence others. The left following Herbert Marcuse is no place for the right. That's what tolerance means. It means anybody on the left can say whatever they want and nobody on the right can say anything. And that's why effectively our public debate is between, you know, liberals and communists. But in the end, they're all they're all pushing a Jewish agenda. Now, whether you le leftist or communist isn't as significant as the fact that ethnocentric Jewish agendas are the ones being pushed through, whether the, the people in front are white or non-white or called left or right. It doesn't matter. They're pushing a Jewish agenda and it's anti-white. And up in Canada, you know, even, even some preacher who's telling his flocks, like, look, homosexuality is not a good thing. It leads to misery. That's why they call themselves gay, because it's such a miserable thing. And he does that, and all of a sudden he's got a human rights commission on his ass, and they're fining him thousands of dollars, and they're demanding that he never say stuff again, and he cease communicating uh, through any form. So they, they want nobody but them to be allowed to speak anything. And of course, nobody in America knows this is going on. I mean, you're not going to find any right wingers talking about it. Uh, the people this call is in Alberta, too. They're awash in oil money. You'd think that they could find better things to consume their time. Well, I mean, the, the whole reason these human rights commissions are set up are to be, you know, to shut down dissent. And this is what all of their activism is. It's, it's basically, let's find anybody who's right wing and let's uh, harass them. And it's a big harassment when you, you know, you can find someone $5,000. I mean, what gives them the power to find people? Even they say there was nothing illegal about what he did. And yet they're ordering him to cease publishing in newspapers by email, on the radio, and public speeches, or on the internet. I mean, he can't speak in public and say that homosexuality is uh, what it is. And well, yet, they're extra legal. It's just like Dick Warman. He's published on being informed, even his axe to grind in other places, and said all sorts of racist things. But 
he was in some sort of a protected undercover status then, so the Human Rights Commissions of Canada won't prosecute him. That's not right, you know? Either it's the rule of the law or it's not, or by their extra-legal commission. I'm this guy is being busted for writing a letter to the editor. The tribunal tribunal ordered Boisson, B-O-I-S-S-O-N, to provide the complainant, who's a faggot, with a written apology for his letter to the editor. So he tried to write a letter to the editor, you know, advocating traditional morality, and next thing you know, you, you owe someone $5,000 and you have to write a, a letter apologizing for what you said. And yet, if you ask the average Canadian, he will say that, yeah, we do have free speech in Canada. That's what's so funny about it. They don't, they don't even know the extent of their enslavement because the press is controlled by their enemies. You know, what they really mean is free speech for like-thinking individuals. Yeah, free speech for those who follow the party line and those who agree with the agenda. And for everybody else, shut up. Shut up or we'll fine you and harass you. We'll get you fired. We'll cut off your funding. No right. place. Well, even back in the states, all these throngs cheering Obama have been politicized in university, way down to elementary school, in, in the kindergarten about homosexuality. Those are their biggest heroes, homos and and Negroes. Yeah, <laughs> these young kids. You talk to them and answer them on message boards, answer them on YouTube. That's what they're all about: homos and Negroes. They've been brainwashed. I mean, that's all they see for twenty-five years of instruction is that these these are the great moral leaders and the white racist slave owners who founded the country. They were bad. You know, and the, the only hope for them was that they've been indoctrinated in the progressive view of American history, as I've said, which is that every time a woman, a minority, whatever, achieves something, that's a great unfolding of this of, a of milestone. The, a milestone. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Another milestone. It's, it's dead on the highway. <laughs> a tombstone. Yeah, it's not a. It's not an advance to have a black. Your government. I mean, you just and then the simplest act of reason, you know. Well, where else are blacks led places? How, how did things turn out where blacks were in charge? Yeah, well, you know, they got to death and they got no money, but you know. Yeah, but there we see, Alex, the separation between uh, factual-based or logical argumentation and the emotional argumentation. For them, it's an accomplishment, so the emotional uh, high they get from that is much more important to them than the logical causation of events. Yeah, it's hard to figure. They're overcoming. I guess what's most irritating about it is, you know, they, they the way that they respond to anyone who takes a different view and that's really i gotta the, the cleverness of the concept of hate is not to be underestimated because it provides the user this this average dolt who believes what he's taught it provides him with at once what he thinks is an intellectual achievement you know frosted with this wonderful feeling of moral superiority yeah. so when you when you make a factual point he can go well you know you're a hater and he's real proud because he's like yeah. identified that's he right texts you yeah and then they're he, regular gifters of love aren't they and then he yeah. feels that really superior to you and intellectually superior to you and right. it, it's absolutely it, it works just because the average person is so damn dumb right he's, he's all at once transported in the position of a referee and you're clearly out of bounds yeah and and these people these are people who the average person identifies with authority he has to feel probably because he doesn't have enough brains or individualism to stand apart from the from the crowd he has to feel that he's part of the winning team and if he were to start debating things that are that strongly uh, put down on him or, or that strongly promoted, I mean, that would make him feel very, very uneasy. And when you when you exhibit that willingness to stand apart or look at things crosswise, his uneasiness is reflected in his vehemence. Oh, you're an evil racist hater. Oh, how dare you? You know, you see that. And we've all seen that in the letters you get from people. You know, oh, I'll pray for your soul. They always say if they're a Christian. 
But these are just simple biological facts, and it behooves us to get over being astonished by them and realize that, you know, people are not fit to do anything other than follow what authority says, most of them. There's only a minority that can and will think for itself, and those are the people we try to reach until we have control of the television, at yeah. which point... If the assets love us, will love us, hate our enemy. Probably were proportioned rightly, they don't think like that. Sure, it's a small country, but, I mean, the ripoff is so pandemic, it's on a, virtually every level. Educational, job market, the futures, the money, <laughs> and they're still coming up roses, they think. I, I don't get it. I mean, well, which let 20% unemployment. I'm looking forward to that. If we're right in what we say about the Jews and, and their, their system, and, and it's being unsustainable, and, and in time, that's what will happen. Yeah. We just have to keep being right about everything, keep being strong, not waver, keep pushing, keep cracking at it, and their thing will fall apart. Will it be right for us? I don't know. But we just got to do whatever we can do. Keep pushing, keep pushing, don't yield to them, and just see what happens. Mm -hmm. I mean, their won't work. <laughs> so we have here another example that U.S. to impose stricter visa rule. The new rule will be valid for multiple entries over a two-year period. Passengers traveling to the United States from countries whose citizens do not need visas must register online with the U.S. government at least... 72 hours before departure in the latest measure to strengthen American security. The new rule is expected to be announced on Tuesday by Michael Chertoff. Yeah, Drew Chertoff was the big pusher this one, Aegis. Yeah. He was quoted as being big proponent of it. So glad it's in effect. Why he can't get into his relative's country. Right. The rule will only apply to citizens of the 27 visa waiver program countries, which includes most of Western Europe, in addition to Australia, Brunei, Japan, New Zealand, and Singapore. The U.S. has signed agreements with eight other countries, including the Czech Republic, uh, Czech Republic, Hungary, and South Korea, putting them on track to join the visa waiver program. Some big fat hottentot meets them at the airport door. The plane. Would you come with me? I'll be satisfied and shit. Y'all have to come with me. Wasn't there some story also about how they're getting these new scanners that allow them to see you basically naked, you know, as they try to determine whether you're a terrorist or not? I think I recall reading that. You know, we have here Susan Ginsburg, a senior staff member of the 9-11 Commission, now at the Migration Policy Institute, welcomed the program but expressed concern that the Homeland Security Department had not conducted a pilot program. Now they're always trying to leverage new, you know, new security measures. What wasn't? I think we talked about it before. They're trying to force a uniform national ID on people, and Montana's governor more or less told him to go blow. He wasn't going to do it. And then they backed off. I haven't seen anything more on that lately. Though. All right. Well, we have another article here. It's a rather long one from The Root uh, called The Science of Racism. And it's uh, about James Watson, the father of DNA, who uh, basically came out and came out and said plainly that blacks are inferior. And this during the height of Obama's campaign. 
Henry Louis Gates is probably the most prominent African-American intellectual, and basically he's equivalent to your average white professor. The only thing that we talk about about him is black. Uh, and being, uh, being average, he's at Harvard. I'm saying he's not dumb, he's not really smart, he's just a sort of an average guy. And here he has a long article appearing at The Root, which I think is some Harvard magazine that he is the editor of. Yeah, the editor of The Root is the, he's the Alphonse Fletcher University professor at Harvard University, that is Henry Louis Gates. Anyway, he's a fairly famous guy. Unlike Cornell West, Gates is not a fraud. He's just, like I say, average. Cornell West is an overt fraud, a little shrimpy little mountebank in the, in the Spike Lee sense. But uh, Henry Louis Gates is not a fraud. He's just he's just a professor who's written some boring books that are not right. Uh, but here he has a rather childish, uh, very long article about his interview with James Watson. Now, Watson made the comment that basically our policies toward Africa are based on the assumption that blacks have equal intellectual ability to whites. If that assumption is wrong, then our policies won't work. So here's a guy who discovered, like, the genetic code, the DNA. And he was drummed out of his job at Cold Spring Harbor for making a simple, accurate statement that uh, black are not, in fact, intellectually equal to whites. Uh, but, you know, being the discoverer of DNA doesn't get you much in America. You have to follow the party line in the agenda or you get fired. So, I mean, we're, you know, people who think that racial equality is progressive, I mean, what could be more progressive than understanding literally, physically, biologically what we are? I mean, in that way, we can overcome some of the diseases that take us down. But no, they want, they're retrograde. They're not progressive. They use their fable of racial equality to undermine the, our greatest intellectual achieve, achievements and, and the achievers themselves. I mean, you, you impose a significant cost and a significant barrier to a, advance when you drum out people for speaking their true minds. So let's let's see what the, and this black. I mean, what struck me about this article is they're very much similar to the uh, Carol Swain, the black uh, legal professor who published a couple long books on white nationalism, the way that she failed utterly to deal with the thing that her book was ostensibly about. She failed to address any of its arguments. He, he's kind of the same here. He white, walks right up to the border and then immediately retreats into moralizing so that he'll take a claim and instead of asking, is it true? You know, what evidence can be found on either side of this claim? He will walk up to it and state the claim and then start moralizing about it. So he essentially quickly retreats to religion in the face of uh, what is in fact proven science. That is the IQ science under the IQ differences. Well, let's read a little bit of it and see what he says. Now he kind of recounts Watson's history and you know, discovering the DNA and then on and on. And, uh, he, in 1994, Watson became the president of the Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory, uh, which is a center for the, uh, on Long Island for the advanced study of genomics and cancer. And in, uh, that in 1998 created the Watson School of Biological Sciences. In 2004, he became its chancellor of the Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory. On October 14, 2007, last year, one of Watson's former assistants, Charlotte Hunt Grubb, wrote an article about him in London Sunday Times, London's Sunday Times, that quoted him making racist comments about black people by suggesting that there are inherent, unalterable biological differences in intelligence between black people and everyone else. Who would be better fit to know that than someone who uh, discovered DNA? He might have some little valid idea about how human people differ, but this, this fucker who's a PhD at Harvard and a nigger thinks that he can dismiss what this guy says by calling it racist. Now, racism belongs to the the witch doctrine and religion and, and politics. It does not belong to science, reason, or rationality. Anyway, so the guy made what he calls racist comments. Echoing racist remarks have been used to justify the enslavement and colonization of black people since the Enlightenment. Watson's comments implied that he believed that nature had created a primal distinction in intelligence and innate mental capacity between blacks and whites, which no amount of social intervention could ever change. You know what? Anyone who's walked around and heard blacks talking and observed their behavior thinks the same way. They don't think that blacks are equal to whites. That's a religious view. 
Now he says, he had uttered the unutterable, the most ardent fantasy of white racists. David Duke would wax poetic in his website, the truth had at last been revealed, and by no less than the discover of the structure of DNA. His words caused a ripple effect of shock, dismay, and disgust among those of us who embraced the range of biological diversity and potential within the human community. It was as if one of the smartest white men in the world had confirmed what so many racists believe already, that the gap between blacks and whites in, say, IQ test scores and SAT results has a biological basis, and that environmental factors uh, such as centuries of slavery, colonization, Jim Crow, segregation, and race-based discrimination all contribute to uneven economic development don't amount to a hill of beans. Nature has given us an extra basketball gene, as it were, in lieu of native intelligence. Yeah, so he, he sets it up, he describes it, but then he doesn't follow through and ask, is it true? Because he fears the answer, and it's some part of him knows that the answer is, yeah, they're not equal. They're not equal in skin color. They're not equal in any of a thousand measures. Why would they be thought a priori to be equal in intelligence? Well, they wouldn't be thought that. And when the assumption that the natural assumption that they being unequal in skin color and everything else, they wouldn't be equal in intelligence when that's backed up or reinforced by what we see in the street. I mean, it all makes perfect sense. Occam's razor kicks in, you know, the simplest explanation. Yeah, they're just not as smart as whites. That's why they never develop. I mean, that's what an ordinary person would think. But ordinary people don't control our media. Ordinary people don't set the terms of political discourse, which includes the science, the, <coughs> the, uh, the witch hunt term racist uh, as part of our ordinary parlance, when in fact racist is nothing but a way to smear those sections of reality that they don't want discussed, as we've seen from our Canada's stories. So anyway, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, he goes, Henry Louis Gates Jr. goes on and speaks to, speaks to Watson and he says, I don't think James Watson is a racist, but I do think he is a racialist. That he That is, he believes that certain observable traits or forms of behavior among groups of human beings might indeed have a biological basis in the code in the code that scientists eventually may be able to ascertain that the gene is some mythically neutral space and what it purportedly measures or determines is independent of environmental factors, variables, and influences. So he, he's tried to make some distinction between racist and racialist, but if you want to put it that way, the racist is simply making the logical, uh, <laughs> he's making a, setting a logical policy based on the differences observed by the racialist, if you want to call the racialist the scientist and the racist the, uh, the politician acting on that scientifically uh, measured difference. So there's not any real distinction there unless you say, yeah, sure, go ahead and throw those, you know, essentially ape, apes plus in with the humans. I'm sure nothing bad will happen, even though all recorded experience says it will, you know? I mean, and the, the part here that, the other part here worth mentioning is this guy is a black, he's a PhD, he teaches at Harvard. He doesn't even appear to be aware of how irrational and unscientific his own view is. He doesn't appear to be aware that he doesn't dare face up to the question. He doesn't cite any of the evidence that, as I said, that shows there are thousands of differences between blacks and whites, not just IQ, not just skin color, thousands of differences. And these differences are reflected across the board in every possible environment. Anywhere the races are mixes, you get the same results. He doesn't show any awareness of any of this. He just retreats into the politically safe. Oh, because, you know, someone misused some of the racial different science 100 years ago. That invalidates all racial differences and it proves that races really are equal. So in the end, he's just another foolish Negro who, because of his skin color, has achieved a position of prominence much higher than he would have as a white where he'd be teaching at some community college. Same thing with Carol Swain. And he doesn't, he doesn't have the guts. And it may not even be a matter of guts. He may not simply have the 
the brain power to see that basically he doesn't dare to address the question of what are the real differences between blacks and whites biologically and as observed on the playing field of, of the terra firma. And if you observe those differences, you see that the races are, as our wisest men said, incompatible. Unless you want to allow blacks essentially open season on whites to steal, rape, and murder whatever they can get their hands on cock into. We don't want that. Why? Because we're white. That's the only reason we need. We don't want to live around clowns like this. Yeah. Well, another aspect of this uh, is, again, that the biological component to intelligence, character, or to put it another way, racial character. So you have almost like a race personality, which is founded in biology itself. Yeah, racialist was is the older term, etymologically speaking, but uh, racist was uh, just come about by uh, Trotsky's translator, Eastman, Max Eastman, in 1932. But by subsuming all white creativity or creation and genius and science and artistry and all the rest of it, architecture, and uh, implying that it's all human, they, they sort of group it into one big uh, blob, and the imputation that, that they would like you to draw is that, oh yeah, it's part black. <laughs> And that's completely false, because those biological things you just mentioned, ages, ages, were part of the historical reasons that uh, they didn't develop along co-equal lines to begin with. And yet, if they can convince enough whites that that's not so, even as they numerically outnumber us, well, uh, you know, that's all she wrote for the white race, quite literally. The second article following this one is uh, Boot Lips and Bling. The title of it is Inconspicuous Consumption. Uh, we have here about seven years ago, University of Chicago economist Kerwin Coffey, Charles, and Eric Hurst were researching the wealth gap between black and white Americans when they noticed something striking. African Americans not only had less wealth than whites with similar incomes, they also had significantly more of their assets tied up in cars. The statistic fit a stereotype reinforced by countless bling-filled hip-hop videos. And African Americans spend a lot on cars, clothes, and jewelry, highly visible goods that tell the world the owner has money. But do they really? And if so, why? Remember that uh, Harriet, what was her name there in Washington, D.C., the tax collector? I forgot her surname. And she had fur, she had cars. 43 million she ripped off from them. <laughs> Actually, she makes the Jews look like a, a really highly accomplished scammers compared to her measly 43 million. But she was quite the character. She had gold cards at all the casinos along Atlantic City and the full length furs. And she was just ugly as all get out, too. I mean, she was just almost pitiably <laughs> ugly. <laughs> but she had it all diamonds, and it's pretty funny. Yeah, everything money can buy. How does a factual study back up a, a stereotype is that like have your eight cake and eat it too what, what the hell is that that's not supposed to happen you know the way they write these things up you know any kind of inanity possible they'll dream it up the phraseology but anyway yeah it's mtv stereotype yeah well that 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 trumps the facts jane in other words yeah. it puts them in a negative light it's a stereotype <laughs> Even though it's true. Mm-hmm. Seems like we covered another story a different time where we found that they do, in fact, spend more on liquor, too, along with, as this study finds, the uh, jewelry, cars, personal care, and apparel. They didn't mention, however, crack cocaine. No. 
But I, I mean, I, I've seen, I remember when I worked corporate, there was, there was about one black guy. He ended up later, they had to get rid of him because he couldn't, uh, he just couldn't do the work, which is writing newsletters. And he was not a bad guy. I mean, he was nice enough and quiet, but uh, he would wear like a very nice suit. I mean, much nicer than what I had or other people had. I mean, pretty much almost like a woman, like a different one every day for a couple of weeks. And, you know, it, that's just an example of what this thing is talking about. I mean, they are very much into clothes and into um, external externals, just in general. And just the way where I forget where I read this, but, you know, the black guy in Africa walking around with a briefcase because he's, he's trying to be a businessman like the white colonials he's seen over there. And he doesn't make any distinction. And dumb people are like this generally. And the blacks, you know, 90 percent of them are pretty dumb. And what you see is what you get. Yeah. The, the external is the thing. The name is the thing. You know, the, the designer label is the thing. There, there's nothing inside. There's no content and form. It's all just one external. That's the only thing they understand because they don't have the brains to appreciate anything else. So if you had a special bottle of champagne, you belong to the upper class. Well, yeah. Racists have been saying this yeah, uh, racists have been saying this for years. That, that it, it, it's ever discovered and proven when science does get to that point. For instance, this last scientist we were just talking about, it'll relieve them of a lot of pressure because they're under pressure. They can see the evidence is all around them that the black race is not created anywhere near the marvels that whites have. So it must be acutely painful on an existential level, and uh, they have to try to. Keep up, well, up, up I, honestly, I think they're so dumb that it's a government essentially holding them down. I mean, they really believe that the government is capable of doing everything and that if blacks are in any way worse off than whites, it's because the government wants them that way. And so all the things that we would look at as indices of how much they're favored over whites, you know, the welfare and the affirmative action, they just see... All they see is that, hey, we're not, we're still not on the level of whites, and that's because the government was set up by white racists, and their their natural stupidity is, is, you know, watered and fed by these Jewish lies that they are surrounded with. So you, you have the worst of all possible things, people who are naturally stupid and violent, who are then directly aimed like a gun at the white community and told that it is responsible for all of your problems. And that's what the Jews have done to this country. Basically, they've tied a, a big, ugly nigger tractor wheel They've tied that around the neck of white people and then shoved them into the deep end of the pool. And if we don't get it, it untied in time, we are going to die. Because blacks are exactly what they seem to be. They're large, violent, stupid, ape-like creatures. And they are not capable of, of living and mixing and working with us. They are only capable, over time, of dragging us down. The fact that some individuals can succeed in white society is not proof that on masse they cannot. And they will destroy any people that they're mixed with over time. And that's exactly what's happening. They're childish they simplicity they think by having things that they are worth something. Well, yeah, I mean, what, what do they spend their money on? They spend their money on stuff that, that doesn't repay itself. I mean, jewelry, cars, personal care, apparel. I mean, so like the guy I mentioned, you know, you buy 14 different suits. What does that cost? I mean, that costs you probably, you know, better part of a year's salary, you know, <laughs> to, to buy that many really nice suits. I mean, you buy a car. Well, you know, what, what devalues more than a car? The minute you drive it off the lot, you know, it's lost, you know, 20% of its value. Jewelry, I don't know. I mean, some of that could be worth something, but it's not going to be worth more than what you paid for it. Personal care, I don't know what that is, but it, it, the point is, niggers see money as, you know, easy come, easy go. For a lot of them, the money doesn't come from work. It comes from the government, and there's always going to be a check in the mailbox, so why not just spend it on whatever makes your life more pleasant at the time? They don't invest in anything. I know the other studies 
show that niggers don't have nearly as much investments as whites because they don't have the brains to plan for the long term. And planning for the long term is what separates the rich and the poor. And that, that's irrespective of race. The dumbest whites out there don't give any thought to the future, but they're living paycheck to paycheck. For whatever reason, they can't get ahead. And a lot of times with whites, it's because of their behavior. And their behavior is due to their having a low IQ, just like niggers. They think like niggers, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. Yeah, instant gratification. Well, I mean, it, 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 some things are independent of race. I mean, low IQ whites are going to tend to act like niggers because they don't have any brains. So they're not going to think about... They have studied that. What's the difference between rich and poor? The, the rich think long term. The poor just think today and tomorrow. They, they can't think, you know, weeks, months, years, decades ahead and plan for it. It's not real enough to them versus, hey, if I go out and spend this $25, I can get, you know, a rim for my car. I don't know what rims cost. I don't know anyone who would want to buy a rim, but they think, you know, immediate gratification versus postponed gratification. The whole idea of capitalism, the Protestant work ethic is you work hard, you save your money, and that gives you more chances and possibilities in the future and more for your children. And that's how you get ahead. And that's the point of capitalism, allowing people to build up reserves thereby strengthen and enrich their, their families. And, and when we all do that, we strengthen our society. I mean, essentially, niggers are a something that we can afford at the moment. There's still enough working whites that we can afford to sustain these leisure classes of, of niggers. And that's exactly what they are. For all their claims that these, these ghetto hood rats are living in poverty, they're not. They are living in leisure. It's the white people who are hardworking, who are used on the TV commercials in both content and advertising. Those are the people who work. Those are the people who push us ahead. It's not the nigger leisure classes. You know, they may not have as much money as a billionaire, but they have enough money to get by. They're not starving. Obesity is a greater problem among niggers than among humans. And these niggers who complain they don't have enough money, they don't blah, blah, blah. They are richer than 90% of whites were 70, 80 years ago. They've all got TVs. They've all got phones. You know, they've all got enough money coming in to where they can sit on the porch all day and be a porch monkey. They're not doing poorly. They are the leisure class. They're not as rich as they like, well, boo-hoo. A nigger always has something to cry up. Let's not, it doesn't hide the fact that they are living off of white earners because the white man's government is controlled by the Jews and he extracts a portion of the white man's paycheck to send to Israel and he extracts another portion to send to the inner city to sustain an ever larger class of urban parasite monkeys. Right, it's like the opposite of, of what you were told uh, happened in Africa with the whites living off blacks there. It's the opposite. The blacks are living off us. Blacks living off Speaking you. Speaking of that, uh, as soon as Obama or the next president gets in, the current Obama, the senator, has just voted in the Senate to redistribute $845 billion to Africa, almost a trillion. The next president is obligated to do that, and that whole project was designed by Jeffrey Sachs of the Millennium Project. And Sachs was the the young Jew, and uh, at the time, the vouchers weren't worth anything. That Millennium Project of Sachs, which Obama voted for, that's, a, that's just the first wave of the redistribution that's going to go to Africa. And that's going to be bad news for whites. So all these cheering idiots and all these arenas in Idaho and wherever, wherever whitey cheers, Montana, it's ridiculous. Uh, they're going to get their own. And a lot of them are young people. With, they thought careers. There's no career when the country's money is ruined. Well, Craig, didn't Obama propose, maybe this is what you're talking about, he proposed sending like, I think, seven-tenths of one percent of the U.S. gross domestic product to Africa. Right, right. But that was the Millennium Project's uh, design. He voted for it, and he he helped push it through. And it, it, it's been approved now. So no matter who the next president is, that's they say is going to occur. It's it's codified in law. Now, what does that amount to in, in pure dollar terms? Eight hundred and forty-five billion. Wow. 
Now, Federal I mean, that's, Reserve. <laughs> that's like what we're spending on defense every year. It's a, it's amazing, and 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 that's just wave one. And you know he'll probably be cheered at that. The, the idiots who who vote for Obama will probably interpret that as as his doing, and no matter what, because he'll just say yes, I voted for that. And all right, round one, Obama scores against Whitey. <laughs> The, the black mahout on the white elephant. Yeah, he's Obama. You know, the, these people aren't interested in any of the facts that we're bringing out here. Oh, he's grow. Oh, look, Bill Cosby's going to be elected in this endless meme of the Morgan Freeman, the Bill Cosby, the noble nigger, and now they got some new movie coming out called Hancock, in which Will Smith is this black, essentially superhero, or like in Hitch, where the nigger is showing the white, yeah. the doofy white guy how to be cool and date and date women. I mean, niggers are presented as everything they're not in the real world, and now we see the real world implication of this. You're going to have a nigger president who's going to ship a trillion dollars a year of your money over to his little coon buddies in Africa. And you know, where does it end? It ends with your kind being wiped off the face of the earth. And the nigger, well, when you're gone, will have no more understanding of what happened than he does now. Yeah, that All too he- is a lot closer to the most whites have uh, fathomed. It's predicted white, basically white, by the end of this century. We are severe. Be- white people are seriously overestimating their strength and, and their uh, uh, immunity to biological law. You will be wiped out. Your kind will be gone. And they will eat you until you no longer exist. This. And then they'll look around and scratch their hairy asses, and they'll wonder, to the extent a coon can, can conceive of ideas, they'll wonder for about 10 or 15 minutes why all the largesse dried up, and then, you know, it's right back to flipping rocks for grubs, and they're no worse off than they ever were, and you and your kind are a disappearing blip on the horizon, and the Earth sails through space bereft of human life, as Hitler predicted if the Jews won the war. That's exactly the way we're headed. <laughs> yeah, well, speaking of a Jew, we have uh, Samuel Israel third hedge fund manager, Steals four hundred fifty million outright, fakes his death, flees, and the odds are he's headed for his homeland. <laughs> and then what did Hitler say about Israel? What did he predict if Israel ever came into existence? You know what? Over the past few weeks, how many of these guys have we had? We had the uh, $300 million U.S. contracted 21-year-old genius arms dealer out of Florida, right? Mm-hmm. With his yarn, Michael Warren dad. Uh, yeah, we believe that story. Sheer genius. So, so he absconded. Then he appeared before Henry Waxman, the Jew in the Congress. Unfortunately, C-SPAN decided not to broadcast that episode. Yeah, yeah. Then we had uh, Lou Perlman, the, the, the Jew who used to have the B-Boys and all of them suck him off. Yeah, the Beastie Boys and NSYNC, Lou Perlman. Now, one of the stories actually said that one guy asked, one kid asked how he got in the band. I think he was a 12 or 13 year old kid, and I think he eventually made it. And they said the story was Perlman opened his cherry cloth robe and said, Come and get it. <laughs> Are you kidding? No, it's an anecdote. It's not an anecdote. It's it's a recollection of of the whole guy's career. So so, so Perlman's doing time in jail. He he what did he steal? Three hundred million after that. He made two hundred million legally. I mean, if you made two hundred million, wouldn't you think, gee, you know, my life is set? No, not this Jew. He decided he had to rip off three hundred million more. He literally <laughs> ripped it off. So he, that that puts him at a half a billion. This is this people listening to this. This is all within the past uh, two and a half three months. That these these cases have reached uh, the, the fever pitch. Yeah, we're not making it up. You can Google it. Like Pierce would always say, you know, if you don't believe me, go check it out yourself. We're not That's the right. Jewish. We don't have to lie. We just bring you the stories that are kept off Fox News yeah. by the Bronx. So now I have Long- Sam Israel. And speaking of Fox News, Alex, they had one of these pretty boys up there. I don't even know what his name was. And and he came on there the other day. We've got the video on Pod Blanc. He says, Samuel Israel, who just made some bad bets. And he almost, you, you would have thought he's fighting his lower lift. 
the way he looks at you. In fact, he repeats the bad bets twice. I thought, what the fuck? They're arresting people now and giving them 20 years for making bad bets? I said, that's like a stealing ah, chicken in old England. They put you in the chatters. That's his fair and swindler's design. It is difficult to be a swindler. Yeah. You need to show some, some Rachmanis, yeah. whatever that is, for the fucking little kike swindlers fleeing to Israel. And, and uh, yeah. to answer my question, that's what Hitler said Israel was going to be if it ever came into existence, was an asylum for kike swindlers. And <laughs> That's what, what, that's what it is. He said that, dude. I didn't know that. That's great. Is quite the <laughs> when he wasn't gassing people, he's correctly prognosticating the future. He's a homeland for swindlers. <laughs> oh, anti-Semitism after the grave. Well, here's yeah. what this Jew did. I don't know the judge that let him off, Alex. He drove to some bridge in northern, uh, southern New York State. And it shows a picture of the vi bridge. There had been like 41 people who jumped off it and committed suicide. And they found everybody except one. And it looks like a mini version of the Golden Gate. I mean, it's not a, 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 a an expansion bridge, but it's that. It's really high, you know. So this son of a bitch parks his car on the end, and then he scratches into it. Suicide is painless. And, you know, I saw that Jew movie, too, in, uh, in 1970. And, and, you know, they have the famous scene where the dentist there, what was his name? Something Jaw. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm looking at it right here on my computer now. And... Yeah, this but, is in MASH. Well, I'm sorry? You're talking about the movie MASH, not the TV show? Right, because that was the little theme song. Suicide is painless. It brings on many changes. Well, this is what this Jew, who stole 450 million bucks, Samuel Israel, etched on the hood of his car before he supposedly leaped off the bridge. <laughs> with, with 450 mil. Yeah, that's right. And the judge let him, oh, why, sure, Mr. Israel, you may remain free. You're not at risk at all <laughs> with your half a billion dollars. Of course, <laughs> sir. <laughs> no problem. And we'll, we'll have Fox News bite his lip when he says, just made a lot of bad. Made some bad bets. Well, that's the kikes for you. I think he jumped. I'll tell you, Alex. He turned into a housefly halfway down and he flew, winged it off to Israel. That's what I, my capacity as a Jew, Jewologist, that's what I believe actually happened. I felt like crying when I heard him say bad. <laughs> I made some bad, the bets went south. I was, I, I'm not responsible. Yes. It fucked that bit out my head. Yeah, his horse, it just didn't come in that yeah. day. An anti-Semitic horse refused to win the race. Maybe he bet it all in Big Brown. Just picture him there at the track with a bunch of ripped up tickets. It's <laughs> getting maudlin. Just thinking about it. And oh. at the end of the Fox thing, he concluded, I have the video. He says something like, let's make clear that he didn't do anything illegal. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah. Why didn't he get 20 years then? I mean, even Zog, they're awfully generous, but they did, after all, let him drive away. Yeah, you don't have to go to jail. Why? Certainly, of course not, Mr. Israel. Why would we put you in jail while your case is pending? That's totally unreasonable. It's really something. And this to the society, abomination. Suicide was painless for him. Yeah. It's a juice attorney, yeah, or humor. And we're evil incarnate for talking about it. Don't forget that part, too. This is very anti-Semitic. <laughs> yeah, spelled S-E-M-E-T-I-C. Tradition of the Jewish peddler selling rotten cloth to rube on the planes. Yeah, that was that young kike on the make selling defective book to the U.S. Army. Uh, I think that was a red box statement there, <laughs> A red box statement. What was it? What was the company that had that? Yeah, I'm, I'm not really feeling comfortable here with all this talk about Jews as though they're other than uh, God's chosen people. This is God's chosen people we're talking about here. A little respect is in order. Mm -hmm. Look at this picture, you guys. Look at this picture. This is, this is the famous Last Supper scene from Matt, considered very racy back in 1970. And, and they're, get this, they're out there now trawling the river. 
I never saw that movie. I guess the TV show is like a continuation of it, based on it or something. Yeah, yeah. Back then, the Jews were sort of upset that uh, there was uh, anti-communist war being fought under their watch. Sure. Actually, the newspapers at that time, they were still a lot of pro-Soviet Union editorial writers all over the place, major publications. Communism would be great if they would just would have instituted it the way Marx and all of the fathers, Trotsky, uh, envisioned it. Yeah, it's funny. That stuff's already so dated. No one young will have any idea of all that stuff. Yeah, it's true. But communism was a big deal in the um, 60s, 70s, and 80s. People were very concerned about it. We have here a story out of Philadelphia, or as it's known today, Kill Adelphia. Or Filthy Delphia. Yeah, Filthy Delphia <laughs> was the 90s version. Now it's uh, it's progressed. It's progressed. To Kill Adelphia. Delphia. So uh, here we have someone posted more than 200 racist flyers throughout the streets of Drexel Hill. And police said they want whoever is responsible to step forward. Quote, I was angry. I was truly angry when I saw these Upper Darby Police Chief Michael Chitwood said. It was Samuel Israel who did it. He'll step forward. These two are what I call race-baiting type flyers. The flyers show pictures of slain white police officers and the black men who killed them. Accused of how the reporter writes it. But what's written on the flyers is why Chitwood called them racist hate material. Quote, guns don't kill people. Dangerous minorities do, the flyers read. <laughs> and another flyer warned, North Philadelphia is coming to your neighborhood bringing drugs, crime, and graffiti. Uh, North Philadelphia is, of course, the black section of Philadelphia. Chitwood said he called for officers to remove the flyers. Well, you missed it. Chitwood said he spotted the flyers last Saturday while riding his bu- his tricycle along school <laughs> in Drexel Hill. Chitwood said he promptly got on his walkie-talkie and called for officers <laughs> to move them. They removed about 268 of these flyers, he said, on and, you know, on and on. They had the usual shock, shock reaction from, from the knobs that they invented or actually found. On Thursday, people living and working in the area said they can't believe someone put the flyers up. I'm appalled. I think this is awful. I think it polarizes an area. Dolores McCormick, a resident of a local insane asylum, said, Police said the flyers were made by the Keystone State skinheads. A vicious and violent hate group. No, no alleged in there. Just to claim that it's a vicious and violent hate group. Racist members. But Nate, Reverend Nate Goodson, I'm sure he has no criminal record, who pastors a church in Upper Darby, every black man in America is a pastor and a, a rap producer, said that calling Upper Darby residents to come together and rise up against the racist acts. You show these kind of people this won't be tolerated at Upper Darby, especially in Pennsylvania. <laughs> Goodson of the Prayer Chapel Church of God and Christ said, Upper Darby police said they will continue their investigation to find out who posted the flyers. NBC10 has been trying to contact the Keystone State skinheads to find out why they're posting the flyers. And this is a very well done flyer. I would have to say it's very simple and clear in its message. And it shows guns don't kill people, dangerous minorities do. Now the funny part here is like, I don't know where that originated, but uh, in a uh, spoof of an NRA infomercial on Family Guy, which is a popular uh, TV show, uh, animated cartoon, they uh, they have just that line, guns don't 
kill people. Dangerous minorities do. And so I don't know if, if the guys at Family Guy created that or if uh, they stole it from somewhere else, but it's still funny that that's the line that they used. And it's, it's not even a line. It's factually true. And yet always in the media, you read it as though the gun is the active agent. It just happens to be using the nigger to commit its crimes uh, <clears throat> because they always play it up as gun violence or gun crimes. Go ahead, Craig. Yeah, they're going to try to charge them. I believe it's $1,000 per plot or tell something like that, the Keystone State Skinheads or whatever. Well, uh, new organized group they have that did this. I think it was the ex-Keystone State Skins. But anyway, $1,000. So the, uh, that's the intimidation that they're facing now. They're going to destroy them as a group. Here's the thing. I, this is the only article I've read on this, and there's no claim that there was any crime committed. There's a political characterization of this as a racist flyer. Now, Philadelphia has had a siege of murders and whatever, hence Philadelphia. But these are not being committed by whites. They're being committed by niggers. So every, everything about what the racist did is accurate, as always. Now, the cop getting angry. And here's the thing. What? Who charges him with the responsibility? Unless there's a law breaking here, why is he ha- able to get his officers to pick these flyers up? It's not his job to determine that uh, a legitimate and protected behavior is somehow illegal and to try to counteract it. That's just plain not legal. And I wish someone would challenge them on it. Now, now have you read something else that says what they did is being considered a crime? And and why? And what, what are they charging them with or trying to? Because this is all I've seen on this. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're uh, trying to get them on inciting racial hatred uh, or, or something of the... And, and littering. And, well, to uh, some extent, it depends whether they're posted. They're posted on municipal. You know, they can make that angle. Uh, well, they're posted on the telephone poles. So the telephone company's got to come out and get them off. Because there's an ordinance against them being on phone poles, I would think. So basically, unless they catch someone in the act, there's nothing they can do. And that's why they're yeah. trying to get that board. But... It's constitutionally protected that you can throw out flyers wherever you want, and they always claim, the cops always imply, as Pierce used to say, that some law has been broken, and the media, of course, further that impression because they don't want anybody putting out the real facts, which are certainly not to be found in their crappy papers. Or their by the way, if anyone's going to do this, if you take some glass with a hammer, you know, put it in a bag or something, and pound up the glass real good until it's just uh, little flakes and particles, and then you mix it in with some urethane or lacquer, paint that mofo over there. Anybody who tries to take it off is going to get this slivers all over their, their fingers. Yeah, well, the real deranged aspect, there's so many deranged aspects of this story, but the real deranged aspect is it's an article decrying the murders of several police officers, and it's the police that are ripping this down. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, what this flyer shows is, I, from the best I can make out, four white cops and then three niggers who presumably killed them, and then it's got a couple more uh, mugshot spaces with question marks, like which white cop is next to be murdered by these dangerous minorities that are actually 92 percent of the world and it's, it's a great flyer makes a lot of sense i can't see the contact information at the bottom obviously because they don't want you to be able to read that if there is contact information at the bottom there's something on the bottom but uh yeah i mean the, the cops uh, the fact is the cops know that it's not whites out there murdering cops and yet they're so politically correct and they're so fearful the top cops are always politically appointed and they're very fearful of going against the agenda and the line and so they immediately get angry i mean he got very very angry that someone's pointing out that niggers are murdering these white cops and whether that anger is real or simulated it just shows you the control mechanism in this country where we are not allowed to solve problems hell we're not even allowed to identify problems philadelphia is 50 percent white now too for people who might not know that 50 percent yeah and 50 percent nigger shithole probably a lot of other mystery meat thrown in yeah there is yeah hence the name kill adelphia yeah i don't know how many people have been killed there this year what like 50 or something I don't know. 
know what? There was a, a, a video up on Pod Blanc today along with a, a woman being assaulted, uh, an old woman, white woman being assaulted by grows at a church. Another was just a wild shootout in West Philip. Yeah. I mean, just bullets spraying everywhere, uh, you know, dust coming up off the houses, and then 10 grows busting out of a house. They were probably making an MTV video. Bringing up the uh, the last topic we have tonight, uh, Ron Paul, still in the news. The Ron Paul revolution continues. Even though he's conceded defeat, we have bookstores. What's, what's the story here? Well, <laughs> the story here, Aegis, is that we as whites interested in building our own revolution want to track what others who are trying to grow structures outside the mainstream are doing, and it behooves us to watch Ron Paul as a reasonably successful independent candidate for president this year. Now, either today or yesterday, he is semi-conceded, uh, but uh, he's done a book it's on the New York Times bestseller list, and apparently what a lot of libertarians around the country are doing is using this book as kind of basis for local political discussion groups, uh, which is a good grassroots activity out of which they can build sort of an, a prolonged campaign to recapture American politics. Now, I don't think they can do it. For The main reason is that they don't place race at the center of their argument, but individualism, which is a juice-safe trap. Nevertheless, it behooves us to notice that they have a lot of people attracted to a lot of their message, including a lot of white people who probably agree with us on race. Uh, even though officially they renounce our views. We know that they, in fact, share them because we know what Lou Rockwell wrote in the newsletters that were sent out under Ron Paul's name. So just it's something to follow. And what they've done is in a lot of local areas, I guess, they'll have, you know, 10, 15 people over and they'll discuss maybe a chapter or two out of Ron Paul's book. And that, that's a good way to organize. I don't know what will come of it, but taken in conjunction with all of their other actions, it, it shows that they're serious and that they, there's some thought to it. There's also a, a libertarian TV network that aims to compete with the big three or four, and I forget the name of it. I know it's online. Uh, online. I guess it has some kind of backing, but again, they're, they're interesting things to track. Meanwhile, at the same time, like Pod Black and the VNN family, we, you know, we continue to grow our own and see where, where that leads us, but anyone looking for, uh, looking for examples of what people can do to work away at the margins, to chip away and to attract new people to our message, uh, you ought to pay attention to what goes on at LouRockwell.com. That's kind of the intellectual headquarters of the libertarian movement, particularly their blog, and they, they will often talk about Ron Paul speaking different places or what his grassroots supporters are doing to spread the message. So just something to pay attention to, just as we pay attention also to the Christians and their development of alternative music and talk shows. Uh, so that's really pretty much the only point to make on that. But I have not, I don't know, you guys probably haven't seen it over there in Europe. I haven't read Ron Paul's book yet. I'll probably will at some point just make some comments on it. But I'm sure it's loaded with uh, genuine instruction in the foundings of this country, apart from the gigantic whopper of a lie, which is essentially in line with the progressive lie that you know race had nothing to do with the founding of America when in fact you're throwing out the baby in the bathwater if you try to claim that the, the Constitution uh, believed in racial equality the men who wrote it they did not and neither is it in dis neither is it uh, a trivial matter that can be dismissed well yeah they were racist but uh, you know apart from that uh, th th that's not the heart of their message the heart of their message is individual freedom wrong completely wrong uh, I spend a lot of time these days uh, doing things I'd rather not but I uh, I spend also a lot of time reading uh, Calhoun and what he said, and boy, you, you really get a strong sense of how anti-democratic they really were, how afraid they really were of the unmediated mob, and that's an unmediated mob of white people. And when you throw niggers and mulattoes and gooks and, and boscos and, and things from the four sewers of the world into the mix, I mean, my God, you've got a flaming heap of dung. <laughs> that will burn an all-consuming flaming pile of shit that will burn 
<laughs> yeah, the Ron Paul book club sounds better than the Oprah book club, that's for sure. And it'll always be a pleasure to watch him at grill and uh, lambast the Jew Ben Bernanke, especially as the United States currency or what passes for the United States currency you know, goes down the tubes. Well, I think, you know, yeah, exactly. A lot of, and, and that is probably one of his signal contributions through this race, as, as Lou Rockwell has said, and, and I would say agree also, is, is the discussion of the economics of our money and what a crucial thing that is and how it's utterly kept from public inspection. I mean, when you, you know, forget voting and representation, all that, when you have a private group of people that's allowed to counterfeit money, I mean, they are the ones who ultimately control everything. And actually, in, in Clyde Wilson's collected letters of John Calhoun, there's quite a, quite a bit in there about a, a bank. And he has a great line. He's like, there's nothing more fruitful of evil than basically allowing these banks to go apeshit. Now, he doesn't use the word apeshit, but I think it's implicit in what he's saying. If you're allowing a group, an interested private group, to print your money, I mean, they basically control the whole system. And that's how it is. They're stealing from you. You don't have any power. They have all the money and the goods, and they can dictate to the rest of you. And Ron Paul deserves a lot of credit for bringing that stuff up over and over. You have to have the money. The currency has to be stable. Otherwise, the basis of the, the system is undone. And again, that's wholly apart from any kind of political representation. And, and all of it is, is summed up in the quote, the Jews claim is spurious, but that sounds good enough to be true. Rothschild, I care not who makes the laws as long as I control the money. I mean, that's the guts of it right there. Money is power. Money and guns are power. Your, your right to vote, man, a nigger, yeah, a nigger can vote. He doesn't have, you don't have to be able to read to vote. You don't have to pay a tax to vote. Anybody can vote, even dead people. Who's counting your vote? You don't even know that. So voting is ridiculous. What you want are solid, stable laws and solid, stable currency that allow you to keep what you legitimately accumulate and allow you to make the central decisions concerning your community's future, rather than having them stripped from you and not even being taken at the state level, but being taken at the government level, at the federal level, so that they dictate to you the jot and tittle of ordinary life. And that's how it is today. So in large part, the white cause is simply the cause of the adult. Do you want to be an adult making adult decisions for your family and your community? Then go white. There's no way to do it but white. Otherwise, you're going to be dictated to by hostile minorities from a place that's probably 2,000 miles away from where you are. You're going to be treated as, as overgrown kindergartner. And too many Americans are just that. The government has grown its own. It's rolled its own. It's created the kind of people it needs to sustain itself, an overgrown kindergartner fit only for having smoke blown up its ass through these ridiculous publications funded by the CIA like Time Magazine. Oh, you're so smart. The experts thought this way, but you're so much smarter. You're an idiot. And I'm here to tell you that. You're a moron. You're an overgrown child. You're being played for a complete fool in the ways we spent the last three hours discussing, and we'll continue to. So. Yeah, cannon fodder for the mud meat grinder. Yeah, you're there to, to, to provide a c additional consumption and then military fodder units, and that's it. And that's why, part, partly why they like niggers so well. You know, who's going to buy the, buy all that liquor? Not white people. They're probably going to spend less of their money on flashy show, showy items and more of their money investing or saving or investing in, you know, stuff like education that, that might have a, a payback level. I mean, real learning. I don't mean the crap you get in public schools. I mean, real learning or training. So blacks, and even, even more than blacks, maybe Mexicans, I mean... Dollar in, dollar out. They get the money, they, they put it back out. That's what the government wants. 
Bush never says become more intelligent, more sophisticated, more refined. He says go out and spend money. Go fly places. Grow the economy. It's all that matters to these people is money, 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 and how they can get more of your money from you. How you can work more efficiently to serve them. It's like motel hell, man. They, they all but plant you in the ground to harvest you. Oh, hell. Man, we better, we better spin that one into the internet. That's a good one right there. Motel hell. Motel hell, USA. <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic liner of the old man. Old man and his hot young chick. He's like, let me teach you the ancient art of meat smoking. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's too funny, man. It's too funny. But yeah, they're in, in motel hell. They're, they're, you know, they're making sausages out of human meat. Uh-huh. I mean, that's what we are to these people. We're there to be farmed and used and molted and abused in every possible money-making way. I wonder if the Jew was in the, uh, the making of motel hell. I don't know. It's, it's a pretty good horror movie, though. It's, it's, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just creeping age or nostalgia or something. I like stuff that was produced in like the, the 70s. It's just, it kind of reminds you of a different time. I mean, I wasn't really, I was not an adult back then, but things were a little bit looser and freer back then than now. It's like where everybody feels constrained to smile all the time and say thank you all the time and never depart one iota from the, the agenda and the going line. And, and genuine personality is almost impossible to find anymore. Everybody has the same like basic way of acting and believing and, and, and thinking. And that's something I've always, you know, they call us Nazis, but I've never had any desire to crush individual personality uh, compared to the leftists and Jews I, I've, I've grown of age. And that's what's wrong with you, Alex. <laughs> I like decentralization. I don't, I don't have a problem. I think there ought to be different states. I don't think one size fits all. Fuck, I don't like lots of people. I sure don't want them telling me how to live. My, own, my only thing I want to be dictatorial on is race. I don't want these other races allowed to come between us and kill us. And, and it's not, we focus so much on the violence. It's not just the violence. It's like, if I walk to the post office, you know, and, and outside, because of the burgeoning numbers of blacks, there's now blacks around the cursor. And I got to listen to some nigger playing hip hop through an open window in a car outside the post office. I don't want that. Now, he's not doing anything illegal, but he's making my world worse. He's making the world worse of every normal white person in Kirksville. And I don't want that. And, and then they have people trained that if you confront them, your world is going to get exponentially well, more worse. Than it exactly, is. exactly. And that's how it is. You know, I don't, I don't want the world filled with the kind of people who would find hip-hop desirable to listen to. And we should be in control of things, not people who force those nigger things among us and privilege them legally over us, all while setting up divisions, the subdivisions of the academy called, you know, the focus on white privilege. And every white person walks around with a backpack full of unearned privileges. You know, and this is insanity. The U.S. is far advanced in this kind of decline and this kind of just mental perversion, this utter fear of seeing things for what they are. The correct way to look at the world begins with trying to perceive it accurately and having respect for what it is enough to understand the phenomenon that are going on within it. And when you do that, when you look at the world realistically, what it will lead most normal people to, unless they have a sick fetish for interracial perversion, they like violence and murder and, and the rest of the garbage that goes along with that, they will come to our position. And that's the reason the Jews have to denounce what is normal as hate. We are the normal guys and we are the good guys. We want the good things in life, not the bad things. It's not us who are out there raping and murdering. And when we cite statistics on that and people call us the haters, well, Craig, how many black women have you raped in your life? Zero. But you know what? Uh, talking about order. Mexicans have you killed in your life, Craig? You're making me feel guilty <laughs> there you go i mean we're not the ones out there committing crimes we're underachievers crimes. 
talking about crimes is worse than real crimes in AmeriQua 2008. Well, I'll tell you that. Fucking insane asylum. But it's our job to keep sticking up for the real reality and for our share in, in a desirable future because no one else is going to do it. And there's no other game in town. Could you want to go to the Republican convention and applaud some jackass like McCain or some nigger like Obama? That's what you want? That's crap. That's going to happen anyway. Anyone can vote for those monkeys and anyone can predict what they'll do beforehand. Just read their APAC speeches. It's not a, there's not a dime's worth of difference between the two parties. As, as a white man said about 40 years ago, back in like 1968. Yeah, the difference between them. And when I was a foolish and sophomore at college student, I wrote an article specifically to rebut that. No, said young Linder. No, no, no. The Republicans are conservatives. They really are different. And he believed that up until he was about 22 and actually saw conservatism and saw that it, it will not, but it, it is not different, different in any essential from liberalism. It toes the line on race. It toes the line on uh, race not mattering and, and Israel and all the other essential there is no difference between the parties. They're better seen as one party with, with two false faces that appear to be doing battle, but in reality are on the same side. And I mean, that's the reason this show is worth doing and spending our time doing, because we teach you that which you will not learn on TV, where the journalists... Let me mention, Alex, it's pretty popular now, too. We're reaching them. And in four years, that means we achieve viral media. Yeah. 300 million people in the country. How many of them? Like 160 million? And maybe, what, 60% of those adults? I don't I don't even know. Don't, I don't even know how many whites there are or what. I just know what I see when I look around. There's plenty of white people and there's plenty of non-white people is how I would characterize America. Well, I hope the whites are listening to Goyfire. I don't care well, if I'm listening. And they're not going to hear anything like it anywhere else. And all you have to do is you know, if I'm Joe Klein writing in, in Time Magazine, I can't say go check out what I say. It's factually right. If I'm, you know, Evan Thomas at Newsweek, I can't say that. If, if I'm one of these clowns on TV, I can't say that. But we can say that. Go check out what we say. Find that we're right. Think about what we're saying. Ask yourself why you don't hear anything as, as entertaining or true is what we were saying on mainstream TV. Instead, you get these, as I call them, fangirls, like Olderman and O'Reilly, who disagree and know essential. And neither of them is, has enough guts to actually go after the Jews who are operating both of their favored candidates. You know, one guy likes Obama, the other guy likes McCain, but both of them are the same when it comes to Israel, and they're the same on race. And those are the essential matters. None of them will stick up for whites. Both of them will agree that anybody who advocates white interests is a hater. So what's the, what's the point in turning them on? What do you get from it? Just you get people who don't respect you and who see you as basically a monkey. We're not like that. We respect you enough that we're telling you the truth. Are we casting pearls before swine? I don't know. We're all involved in a process here and the blinders are falling. I mean, we, we might be the early adopters, but it's happening. Yeah, you write in and you tell us and we'll try to address any questions. Sometimes we're laggard. But, uh, no offering jail sentences in Canada. <laughs> yeah, listen to us in Canada. <clears throat> and uh, I certainly don't want to encourage anybody to uh, do away with the tyrants up there by use of violent force. That would be a real tragedy. But, you know, you can keep on, you know, pressing your hundreds of thousands of dollars of worth of lawsuits and see what happens. But they never did find who killed that Jarenko over in Russia, I noticed. Interesting. Never did find anyone who killed him. And they think they got a new guy over there to replace Jarenko, but I haven't heard much out of him. Yeah, he's people, not as uh, vociferous as his uh, predecessor. Warman believes in the use of violent force against racists, i.e. normal white people who are not queers and don't like being mixed in with violent Jamaican thugs in Toronto or crazy kooky dugas and, and Muslims you know, in Vancouver. Richard Warman believes in the use of violent force against our kind, so he can hardly complain if that force comes home to him. Can he? What, what the man say? Those who would be free must strike the blow themselves. It's one of those things you can't subcontract in the way we've subcontracted our foreign and domestic policies to Israel and the Jews. Anybody who does it goes into history immediately. man who 
liberates the Aryan race from the Jews will go down as the greatest man in all human history. That I guarantee you. And you know what? There's there's no greater prize that can be achieved than to win a claim that echoes through the ages. Hitler came pretty close, but he didn't win the prize, and maybe you can win the prize. Because we have right. There's nothing that we've said on here that isn't right, that isn't correct, that doesn't resound in the breast of most white Americans and white Europeans listening to what we say even though most of the people listening to what we say, and I know we get a lot of downloads from Europe and from Canada, are not even allowed to say the things we've said here today in their countries because their countries are controlled by Jews and because those Jews have set up hate crimes laws and speech crimes laws, which are thought crimes laws that forbid people from speaking their mind. And we have, as we saw today, I don't think we read it, but Hillary Clinton specifically denounced the World War II truthing conference in Iran, where scholars who were not allowed to speak their minds or talk about their research met in an atmosphere of genuine freedom to discuss things the Jews would forbid us from discussing here in our own countries that she would fain, you know, become president of. So we are not only the party of whites, we are the party of genuine liberty. Go visit Podblanc and, and see all the different videos. Thanks for listening. We know a lot of you are, and, and we hope more will. And we do the show in part because we want people to spread it. We, we don't sit all. We don't use all of our time up with commercials. We don't use it all up talk about ourselves and how our our stupid stuff. We just give you the meat, the gold, the stuff you need to understand what's going on in your world. All right, and we keep the friction and the garbage and the overhead stuff to an absolute minimum. So take the URLs when these are downloaded and spread them around to people who need to know what we're talking about. Thank you.